And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. The Hagman and Hagman Report. Welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. This uh, this program is is really taking off, isn't it? Uh, I want to thank everyone tuning in from the multitude of locations. Whether you're in the United States, Canada, we have some listeners in Central and South America. We also have uh, people checking in with us from Europe, from the UK. I want to say hello. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on the Global Star Radio Network. It's the place to be. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with fellow investigative researcher and, of course, my son, Joe Hagman, together with something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. We've got so much to get into tonight, folks. Of course, you know that we broadcast live each and every weeknight, Monday through Friday, from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to HagmanandHagman.com. You want to, for the menu, in terms of where we, well, our broadcasting venues, how you can access our various venues, various options to listen. And and we dig deep into uh, a variety of topics, as you well know, whether it's uh, it's about the elections or whether it's about uh, uh, past issues, things of antiquity. That's what we address. All with a Christian or from a Christian perspective. Folks, tonight we've got a very special show for you planned in the final two two hours, the final four segments of our show. We're going to be talking with a military source. Cannot give you his name. We can give you his first name. Yeah, we'll, we'll just call him Tim. How's that? He is. Um, he's still considered active military until the end of uh, next month. And, of course, uh, um he has, he holds, he holds a very, he holds clearances. And when you get into that, and when you get into broadcasting, radio, there are certain rules that you have to, to adhere to. And of course he's going to be playing it by the book in terms of, uh, identifying him. So, folks, tell your friends, tell your family, tune in. It's going to be an important show. And he's not going to just go over uh, current events that are only happening today. He's going to he's going to hit on that, but he's going to do so by going through his background and his beginning years of service, um, in through different current events and points in history that changed, as well as his service to you know from nine eleven right. onward, um, into <laughs> current. Uh, topics from his point of view, from where he came from. It's going to be a great show. The the big picture. That's what we're going to be getting into. The big picture, talk, touching on many topics, as you said. Um, topics that, uh, that well, topics that, that apply, especially in the headline-rich environment today. Now, I want to throw a curveball. I know you have uh, stuff you wanted to jump right into, but I don't yeah. know if you saw this, and I need... To verify this from a secondary source, conservativedaily.com. I'm not sure uh, how accurate their website is, but if they're correct, there has been a backdoor ammo ban 
done by the Obama regulatory administration by reclassifying a key compound, chemical compound for making gunpowder as a highly explosive uh, and now illegal for any company or industry to transport or store it. Um, it's known as nitrocellulose. <laughs> Apparently, is a chemical compound known to uh, in, for uh, its use in gunpowder. For decades, the firearm industry has been allowed to store and transport uh, wetted nitrocellulose without having to treat it as is a high that, explosive. Just a second, uh, let's let's authenticate the source. What is that? Uh, conservative conservative-daily.com. Yes. yes. Okay. And that interesting. Well, just in the last few hours, this has come out. But we'll have to verify it through the uh, actual regulations. I can read the regulations and find out. Well, you, you know, it's, look, we we know it. It, it doesn't take uh, much, or it doesn't take uh, many people to talk, or it doesn't take. A, you can see the writing on the wall, folks. You can see the writing on the wall. The gun rights. The, the, are under attack, and Obama is going to do everything in his power to limit our ability to purchase weapons, to purchase uh, weapons with uh, the you know the capacity, the magazine capacity, um, the ammunition through taxes and backdoor um, backdoor regulations, of course. So expect the unexpected, or expect his agenda, their agenda, the agenda of the globalists to play out for the rest rest of his term and of course uh, that kind of segues into what we're going to be talking about tonight uh, for the first hour folks we're being set up and we told you this quite some time ago didn't we 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 talked about this before we talked about the potential for the election to be false flagged or to be taken over or to be things to happen we told you to expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. We told you that uh, you know what what you see today may not be how it plays out in November. Of course, this on the as we as we watch uh, Trump uh, complete his his uh, affairs, his meeting in Mexico. A lot of things could happen between now and November, and I do expect that a lot of things will happen. But a couple of issues here that I think are important that we're going to get into, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Folks, we talked about this, or we touched on this yesterday and the day before, a little bit. The fact that a candidate's death could delay or eliminate the presidential election. We're being set up, in my view anyway, we're being set up for a change we were being set up for something to take place that, that will challenge the legitimacy of the presidential elections. We're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about the clarion call by the uh, Department of Homeland Security saying that they are going to, um, that, or that they, there's a need to take charge of the elections, citing, of course, breaches, database breaches. But this is nothing new in terms of their agenda. We knew about this before. And, and there's also, in the same vein, you're looking at this variety, uh, numerous things that, that, anyway, it appears to me, and Joe and I were talking about this before the show, and you can jump in here at this point, Joe, um, that there's something up. There's something up with Hillary. There's something up with Trump. Trump, with respect to his, uh, not not just his platform, but but because he was wavering on immigration or seemingly 
appeared to be. Uh, now he's meeting with the uh, Mexican president. And when that uh, comes out, now, now is that being spun by the media? Is that being spun by the, is his meeting being spun by the corporate media? What's the intent down there? Just a couple of things to, to uh, ask yourselves. As well as um, Hillary Clinton's war on the alternative news media. Folks, we are in the crosshairs, whether you want to believe that or not. Uh, Alex Jones is in the crosshairs. Rick Wiles is in the crosshairs. Every alternative media source of any substance is in the crosshairs. And we we cannot stress this enough. Um, frankly, I don't know how long it will be before there will be a large salvo of, I don't know, cruise-like missiles, metaphorically speaking, across our bow. Um, I think I think we're going to see more and more, especially in October. Of course, the October surprise, but there, there are so many people that I've gotten emails from saying, look, we have information that the alternative media, that you, meaning us, and others like you, and especially if you're doing it from a Christian perspective, because then they can get you on hate speech, meaning the government. What then, they're doing in London, yeah, we, see, go ahead. Um, we see a lot of that now, and I don't have the particulars in front of me, but there were speech laws and behavior laws that were passed in uh, London and uh, throughout different parts of Europe. London Stan is what uh, Drudge has been referring to it as since the mayor of London was uh, recently elected as a Muslim. And what they have done is they are scouring through comments under articles, social media posts from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram, and anything that they deem as uh, racist or offensive or bigoted, Yep, they are punishing people with fines and even jail time in many cases. Um, I read this story maybe a, a three weeks ago where this one guy was uh, a multiple offender. I think it was over 22 times. Um, he verbally abused this Jewish woman and her daughter, saying just horrible things about you know Jewish people and the Holocaust and, and gassed them all. And he even took this into the courtroom um, and started saying the same things to the judge. But it, it struck me as uh, very interesting that this man was, you know, ticketed for actual, uh, I forget what the terminology used was, but it boiled down to uh, basically saying something offensive to the, the other lady. Now think about that here in America on the streets in everyday cities from New York City to L.A. to Chicago to, I don't know, even cities, you know, like Columbus, Cleveland. If... um Basically, it boils down to you can honk your horn at somebody, and if they get offended by it, you can be locked up. Now, that's just obviously a, a metaphor, but, you know, we see uh, how free speech works in this country every single day. Just because speech is free doesn't mean you have to agree with it, like it. Uh, the the protection of, of, of speech is designed to protect the very speech that you disagree with. Uh, right. So understand that. Um, the protection is designed to protect that speech, which is controversial. And it ties into religion. I mean, as much as, you know, some people don't like it, uh, the First Amendment gives another person the right to read a Quran, um, you know, 
on a park bench or, um, and we're even seeing limits on this, you know, coming into different work, not, not with the Quran, but with the Bibles and the schools and the workplaces. And you can kind of see the blueprint for how they are, um, organizing their, their legislation of speech, um, before the turnover of the internet on August 1st, October 1st of this year to the, uh, UN. And they've already labeled what they see as, you know, bigoted and hate speech recently the southern poverty law center classified the group all lives matter as a hate group um we see anything that's anti-muslim anti-lgbt is deemed hate speech and and or hate crimes when crimes are committed against people of these classifications but the other way around it is downplayed you know it is not hate speech it was domestic violence um there, that was a, uh, workplace yeah, work. well it was I mean, not hate speech yeah. it, you know it was uh, somebody's opinion and it was not a terrorist attack it was workplace violence so they're they're very objective when it comes to lawfare implementing too. the law and lawfare is going to play a big role in this as well it's like the IRS targeting yes they pick and chose organizations that uh, were viewed as their opponents and they went and used their weaponization of the IRS to target these political groups, these non-profit political groups with audits based on their political ideology. They didn't go after everybody in a certain sector or everybody committing certain uh, behavioral patterns uh, with money. They went after groups specifically for their beliefs. And this is how the free speech and censorship uh, will come into effect, the end of free speech and censorship. They will cherry-pick at first, who they want to shut down, use them as examples, and I believe then, you know, lay down just blanket restrictions on on speech and come in and use the police force with American tax dollars paying the bill to police free speech. The, the media, the government, the globalists, the globalists within the government that that have been placed in there, really from the 50s onward uh, from post world war 2 immediately after world war 2 to the present day even before world war 2 well yeah but really in earnest after the uh, um after the nazis were were well uh, some many people say they were defeated but uh, of course they were not they were just relocated but having said that the infiltration into the united states government especially at the at the state department level in the in the congress in all of those venues, these people now are, are have, have switched from infiltration and uh, overtaking into now a full combat mode. We, so, folks, understand this. We're seeing a lot of plans that were made coming to pass. Now, they're not going to win on all fronts. We know that. We know that. We can throw monkey wrenches into various parts of their of their plans, but yeah, one example of that is to uh, re- use our own words to redefine uh, speech in a way we can say things without saying them. For instance, if we had to, well, yeah, and that's just—I mean—one example of many. Um, no, no, obviously, I'm not for, afraid to go to jail to continue to. Well, I, I, you know, if it um, comes to that, report the truth and uh, if, I don't the think news and current that, events though, the or, way that we I, do so through a biblical perspective. Joe, Joe, hold on a second, though. You, you mentioned something. I, jail. Um, I don't think they could. They, I don't think they could round up or or hold all of us into a jail uh, environment. 
Okay. Uh, in other words, how are they going to? How would they execute that uh, that uh, incarceration of of offenders of their free speech policy? Would well, they just? I think they could do. You know, they could um, easily in the middle of the night have a ten targets, ten alternative media hosts. We'll say you throw a hundred alternative names, uh, host names in a basket, and they pick ten out. All right. They could easily form small squads of arrest teams in the middle of the night and execute warrants to bring these people in. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm more... I mean, it's it's very possible. I, I would think that that the, um, the... And here's... And folks, you're welcome to, you know, formulate your own opinion and we'd love to hear it, but but I, I'm thinking more that they would take the, the higher profile entities, uh, groups, individuals, and make examples out of those um, and then disappear so to speak, using that as a verb, the rest, the uh, the remaining uh, malcontents and the remaining problem children, so to speak. So that's you my know, view. And there was, um, uh, I forget what the name of the uh, Prophecy Club, maybe? Ken Peters was a, a gentleman who gave a testimony about his vision he received from the Lord about the tribulation times, where he talked about... Um, However, there was TV screens everywhere, and this was before. I think this was in the 80s, uh, early 90s. He gave his testimony, and he talked about little computers, you know, the size of what phones look like today, right. and uh, just how there were screens everywhere, and cars, and stores, and people's persons was walking around. And he talked about the chaos of how uh, media was shut down, and when it was about a period of two weeks, and when the media came back on, it was a new organized form of government. Um, that was all completely uh, censored and there was an antichrist figure that was in there who was giving his messages and it came across all the p- different platforms uh that were uh, seemingly connected but not connected in message basically one channel came on all the computers phones and and TVs um but folks I would ask you to check out that video of Ken Peters testimony from Prophecy Club you can find it on YouTube um when you have some time it's a few hours and it's very detailed and and um, something we've talked about here for uh, for a few different reasons throughout the years we've been on air. Let me just clarify but there could be a scenario. Like well, hang that. on a second. Let me clarify what I said or what I what I meant to say. I wasn't too clear on this because I'm getting a couple of emails. I understand the FEMA camps or the the the, the FEMA facilities, the prisons. The um, I, I understand the existence and and with the existence of of, of those where. Individuals, people can be placed in those. What I'm saying, though, at the onset of the enforcement of a free spe- or a hate speech type of law, that the, the initial throes of the enforcement, I don't believe that they would uh, do it in a traditional manner. In other words, well, you know, you're here today and gone tomorrow, and then there's going to be questions, but then others would be made examples of. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're Absolutely. Different different tactics for different levels of, of people, of problem people. That's well, when we look at what um, what is happening, you know, with our president and our executive branch and the government today, we see a few different things. Obama to bypass Congress uh, and pretend to ratify U.N. climate deal uh, the Paris Accord right. that was announced yesterday. Um, again, this is another action that the uh, executive branch is taking, like giving the internet over to from to an international body, the UN, um, which is illegal to give away federal um, powers and authority without congressional approval. Obama is seemingly doing the same thing to bypass the Senate and ratify the Paris Climate Accord, 
But just take a second to think. If Hillary Clinton gets elected, if the FCC or even the international body uh, who's regulating the Internet and the speech of the Internet is the U.N., we know they already have a plan in place to shut down any, any political dissidents and take away those who support the people who create that dissidence. Right. Which would be our listeners. No, well... I mean, there are plans out there. Wait, wait a saying, second. I don't, want to, I don't want them to be afraid for listening no, to this no, program. No, no. Expl- why don't you explain that a little bit okay, more? Okay, you know how I... Steve Quill talks about the green list, the red list, the blue list, and people ask yes. about the stickers on mailbox. Well, everybody who is an American citizen, and I would say everybody um, in Europe, too, is now classified um, as, you know, they have a file. They have you know, your political beliefs, who do you, you know, what you're ascribed to. They keep track of who, if people are perceived to be anti-government or not. If people are, um, you know, anti, we'll say, when, when Obama took president, the presidency, if he was, a, if you're a birther, they have these classifications on people, whether you're the head of a, the CEO of a huge company or, you know, you're a mechanic in a, in a small town, uh, garage. <coughs> right. They know, it's like the grocery club cards you talk about. They yes, have your information. The loyalty cards. They know what your patterns are, your beliefs are. And they classify you into, yes, you can be reeducated. No, you won't be reeducated. Yes, there's a possibility of being reeducated from the information that I have read. And that backs up what Larry Grafwalt talked about with Correct. the Weather Underground. So, I mean, there are a few different ways that this can be brought about. Yeah, and, and again, just to reinforce nobody my be point. Scared. No, the, the correct. To, just to reinforce what I meant meant to say to, to clarify it, I, I don't believe it's going to take place. What you're talking about, this whole thing as it, as it comes down, I don't believe it's going to be done in a traditional. Oh, I expected it to go that way. Manner. I just right. That's what I what I should have said, as opposed to what I did say. Um, folks, I speaking about all of this. Are you prepared? Visit MinutemanStove.com. I, I was talking. Um, I was talking with a couple of friends of mine today. Uh, two, two guys who go hunting, and they were talking about going deer hunting this year. And they 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 were having an issue about about actually they're going to be camping in the woods. They've got a little uh, cabin. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, anything major, but they need a, something to cook on. It's uh, the, the cabin that they have, of course, is very very rustic and. Well, it's just four sheets of plywood and, and a roof. Um, but it, it, they're going to be in the Allegheny uh, Mountains. It's a fun and, place to camp. Yeah, you know, it's. It, but we were talking about cooking, and, and they said, yeah, we need something to cook on. And I showed them the Minuteman rocket stove, and they, they got really excited. So, folks, visit MinutemanStove.com. If, you, if you've got a hunter in the family or who's going to be camping out, let's say, this deer season, or if you want to really top off your preparations with something that is that you probably don't think about. You just gave yourself away. You're not a hunter. What do you mean? You can't be cooking while you're waiting to hunt. While you're no, I'm hunting. talking about the you know how afterwards, yeah, the, the guys go before. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they go down on the on the Saturday before the Monday. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about while you're sitting there. And, oh no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm having problems uh, with my delivery tonight, apparently. But anyway, I showed them the, the Minuteman stove, and, and they were really excited about it. Uh, the Minuteman rocket stove is a perfect outdoor, sur- even for survival. It's a perfect stove for you and your family. For a number of reasons, folks. They, uh, 
the stove is a biomass burning stove. It requires just small amounts of sticks and twigs for fuel, and you're always going to be able to find enough fuel. In, in their mm-hmm. case, of course, in the woods. But if you if you're in, in an urban setting, you can find this this device, this stove, uh, requires so little wood. It's just amazing. Uh, I really want you to check it out. Go to MinutemanStove.com. It's fully insulated. The, the stove itself. Reinforced one, one eighth inch steel. It burns yeah. it over 1400 degrees. It can, it can actually, yeah, leave it. That'll leave a mark. <laughs> but, uh, but it's safe to burn on top of picnic tables. Yes. And, uh, you know, you can on top of your driveway or, uh, on the ground, however you want to do it. It is a, uh, perfect, portable and efficient way to cook your food on the go. Uh, saves the time and, and, um, manpower of gathering wood for big fires and gathers all the the heat and and has a just a very simple but smart system where just a few sticks and and uh, branches can help you cook your dinner uh, right on a burner right in a small ammo can great stuff because it's made in america ladies and gentlemen by americans and this to me this is uh uh, this is our personal choice for survival cooking. This, if you're looking for a, a cooking mechanism device, this is it. MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. Folks, go there and make sure you mention you heard this on the Hagman and Hagman report. But, but you know what, Joe? We, we need to be really thinking about preparations in, in all avenues, in all areas of our life. Mm-hmm. We, can you feel it out there? Can you feel the change. Oh yeah, absolutely. The political climate is increasingly hostile. Yeah. The racial tensions here in this country are not going back to normal. And when I say normal, it was uh, already very tense. Um, since Obama's taken office, we've seen just an increase in the racial tension here in this country, unneededly so. We see what is going on globally with the globalization push that we have from most of, if not all the world leaders and the people who pull their strings. And then you have Trump promoting nationalism and you have a media that is lying and doing everything they can to shield and protect Hillary Clinton and help her retaining a presidency. Man. To retain a presidency? To retain the Even Assange says it best. Hillary's a demon that is going to put nooses around everyone's neck and the media is protecting that demon he said <laughs> what a way with words the yak stay right where you're at we're right back survival and preparations at the end of the first segment and here in the top of segment number two we're going to be talking about survival and preparation with the owner of american survival wholesale chance he's got a new and important um, package that he wants to come on and talk about and we are going to turn this over to chance for a few moments to let him come on and Talk about the latest deal at AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com, our go-to survival food company 
here at the Hagman and Hagman Report. He's um, been a, a friend and sponsor of the show for years, and he's been doing so much for our audience and um, Christians out there. We can't thank him enough. Chance, it's great to have you on the show. Blessings, gentlemen. Blessings all Hagman listeners out there. Uh, you've been listening to Tim Weldon, whom I've had the honor and privilege to have met in person. Uh, he's a man of God who's probably served our country for the past 20 years. What I am about to tell you guys uh, might make you upset. It might make you a bit angry, but it needs to be said. It needs to be talked about. Many of our brave soldiers, law enforcement officers, Border Patrol agents are just not making it on their meager salaries. Those that are protecting our community, our country, and our borders can't protect their own families if a disaster were to occur. I have spoke to, and there are some of the lower-ranking E1 to E4 in our military that are collecting food stamps. This is disgusting and makes me and others sick. That being said, we, Team ASW, with the help of you, the remnant, and others, like our friends at the Ready Project, have a solution. Where there's a problem, there is a solution. So please get a pen and paper right now. All right. Here's what we're going to do. If you go to American Survival Wholesale, click on all products and select bless those who serve, we will send you, your family, 103 servings of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. Your cost, $99, but this is the great thing. By doing that, we will be able to send, with your help, the exact same pack to those that serve us. Number two, for those out there in the military actively serving, if you would like to get your family prepared, September is preparedness month. Those that are in law enforcement that are struggling to make ends meet, those that are protecting our borders, I'm calling out to you right now. Please email us, bugoutamerica at usa.com, bugoutamerica at usa.com. We want to help. Please email us. We will get a pack out to you right away. No catch. Call us anytime. We're going to keep the lines open late tonight, but this offer will go on as long as we can do this. I want to thank you, gentlemen, for letting me uh, take the time to do this today. Sure, Chance. One, one more time. AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Go to All Products, and under All Products, choose the Bless Those Who Serve. Is that correct? That is correct. And then, folks, any any and everybody who buys one of these packages is helping a uh, veteran, a service member, also receive a package um courtesy of americansurvivalwholesale.com again go to americansurvivalwholesale.com click on all products then go to bless those who serve and check out the packs that they have there and you are helping a a veteran with their uh, and yourself with survival food that will last that is durable that is even tasty to eat and I can uh, attest to that <laughs> as if that's a well you know you know, looking at long term long-term storable foods they're not always you know um, that's right the best taste go ahead chance 
Uh, Joe and Doug, this is uh, actually for all active duty military, those that are currently serving, as well as law enforcement officers and Border Patrol agents around our country. Any of those out there who need help, please contact us. We will get a pack out to you right away. Thank you so much uh, for all oh, those that are going to participate in this. It means so much. And, uh, again, thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you, sir. God Thanks, bless. Chance. Yeah. Um, in American Survival Wholesale, just, folks, just to recap that, they are helping our active duty law enforcement and military personnel by through this package. So you get 100 bucks worth of food, 120 servings. They will send out the same package to an active duty law enforcement or military individual, their family in need. It's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great initiative. We want to thank them for their, um, their initiative there. That's americansurvivalwholesale.com. And of course, click on the, uh, the package that Joe referenced there. You can just yeah, go to the, the front page there. The, uh, bless those who serve. All right. Now, real quick here, a couple of things before we bring on our guests at the top of the, top of the next segment here. Next hour. Joe, the, the, um, there are a number of things here that, folks, if you're not watching very carefully. Yeah. I just want to bring out two things before we get into okay. the, the meat of this. For example, on Drudge, if you take a look at what Drudge is reporting, it's interesting because you've got, number one, you've got this discovery of a 3.7 billion year old or 3.7 billion year old fossils, which they're saying are the oldest forms or signs of life on Earth, the oldest signs of life on Earth. Now think about that. What, so who cares about that? What does that have to do with anything? Think about Steve Quayle, Tim Alberino, L.A. Marzulli, all of the people who have been investigating the, uh, the pre-flood, the Atlantis, the Instandeo and such. Think about those. Think about the context in which this whole yeah. narrative is being built. Followed by mystery UFO spotted near the International Space Station. Followed by, um, these various other s- signs. For example, the Vatican being um, using the the telescope at uh, um, their telescope to look for signs of extraterrestrial life. There's also and a, a, SETI now. Uh, oh yeah, SETI. Yeah, I read SETI that saying, yesterday. Wait, wait, we found something here. There was a signal from yes. uh, last year, I believe, or earlier this year that they received. It's about 94 light years away, if I remember correctly. Yes, from a, a distant one star system, um, which they said that they had some form of signal. Uh, that said he received that we're not attributing it to alien life, but they do not have a uh, explanation as to where it came from. Well, all of this combined in the aggregate, and, as and there was the a says this is very well known astron- astronomer uh, who was found decaying dead in in his home um, just today. I don't know if that has any relation to anything that is going on with um, you know things in the sky with UFOs with. The close asteroid that almost hit Earth uh, yesterday that uh, people are just finding out about today. Right. And a number of other close calls that we're going to see later on in uh, September. Um, but there are things that are happening. And Eric, we, my, you and Eric yes. uh, and me were sitting before the show and we were talking. We were mentioning about the elections and Eric brought up Jonathan Wright, code <laughs> searcher. Uh, and what was the word you used, Eric? Uh, uh, Trump wins, Hillary steals. Listen to what George Soros said today. And, folks, I, I emailed this to you, Eric. 
Um, and there's a video of this on Twitter. George Soros says Trump will win popular vote, but it's already been decided that Clinton will be POTUS. Again, Soros says Trump will win popular vote, but it's already decided that Clinton will be the president. That well, just goes to what you were talking about, Eric, and what yeah. Jonathan Wright was uh, and has been writing about. Now, something is, again, this is not going to play out the way people think it is, and I think we need to be looking at all all potential aspects of that. And, and that kind of speaks to, or is a good segue into what we referenced earlier in earlier programs about the candidate's death could delay or eliminate the presidential election. Mm-hmm. The presidential election, folks, could be delayed or scrapped altogether, according to this. Now, this might seem like old news to you, but we have new listeners, new people tuning in here. So... Just bear with us if you've heard this before, but um, if conspiracy theories become predictive and a candidate dies or drops out before November 8th, this or uh, the perhaps equally startling alternative, if there's enough time, small groups of people handpicking replacement pursuant yep. to obscure party rules. Basically, this is no rules. Well, one of the ideas floated out there, there was an anonymous uh, electoral uh, college uh, yes. voter who said that we don't need the popular vote to choose a presidency in times of an emergency. We can call the electoral vote and start and end with that to determine the president. Well, Basically saying again, none of the citizens Joe, in the country need to vote. And when you do vote, um, it comes down to the electoral vote anyways. And if you th- say that uh, an election can't be stolen in broad daylight, just look at um, Bush and Gore. You know, Look back to that. But even more more basic than that, this is the difference between a democracy and a representative republic in which we live. Exactly. Which um, we had Greg Jackson on not too long ago that talked about the meaning of words and how words have been distorted by their definition. And, you know, the word republic has been substituted for democracy. And people believe we are a democracy when in reality we are a constitutional republic. A democracy is something that the founders wanted to stay away from. That's why they gave us a republic. Well, to that end, John Nagel, a university professor at uh, Notre Dame, listen to this. He says, there is nothing in the Constitution that requires a popular election for electors serving in the Electoral College. Okay, so uh, meaning that the body that officially elects the presidents could convene without the general public voting, which is exactly what you said. So, and it's up to each state legislature to decide how they want to choose the state's electors. This according to, to Nagel from Notre Dame. So, so it may be a situation in which the fact that we have an electoral college rather than direct voting for presidential candidates may prove helpful. Now, Michael Savage was talking about this as well. You combine that with the talk of voting fraud, the hacking of the voting machines, you, there's a simple answer to all of this, really, to Part A and Part B. Part A would be paper ballots, and Part B, of course, would be voter ID. You need ID in order to vote, a valid uh, uh, government ID. And, of course, everyone says, well, no, that's racist. You can't do that. That's oppressive to the minorities. Come on. That's a bunch of BS. And and everyone knows that. And, and why that the people are, are just saying that, well, you know, we can't enforce something like that, to me, is just insane. So they did it in Iraq. Remember that, the purple thumb. So both major parties, however, have rules for presidential ticket replacements. However, 
And Congress has the, they've got the power to change the election date under Article 2 of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And that allows federal lawmakers to set dates for the selection of the presidential electors, or the electors, uh, and when the electors will vote. But Congress would be up against a de facto December deadline as the Constitution's 20th Amendment requires that congressional terms expire January 3rd and presidential terms on January 20th. Now remember, they moved that back from years ago when that used to be in March. Now it's conceivable to split legislative and presidential elections. Uh, They generally happen at the same time, and if the general election were to be moved after January 3rd, Congress effectively would have voted themselves out of office, and that wouldn't work. So you're looking at a December deadline, and if that deadline is not met, what is being said here is we would really have a constitutional crisis. Yes, we would. And there are a few options that the uh, people who make the rules can choose to use, uh, one of them being a delayed election with candidates that were never on the ballot in the first place, if you can believe that. Sure. Unless they submitted... um certain paperwork filings like Mitt Romney did and Jeb Bush did um, even though that af- they did this after they did they lost the primary and you have to wonder why that is um, to even secret elections held in private by you know quote unquote the electoral college uh, without the say of the American public to outright keeping the current president in for a term as long as he deems necessary with the expansion of federal powers and breaking of the Constitution with such laws as the Patriot Act, we can see how the executive branch's authority can continue to write new laws for themselves, um, which is very troublesome to, to worry and, about. And, and think about this. We've, we've been talking about this for months now, and, and now we're watching it unfold. And, and think about Trump being in Mexico. Think about what that's doing with respect to the potential for his safety and and consequential, well, subsequent to that meeting. Because there is anger building here with Mexicans in the United States against Trump and against their own president for meeting with Trump. It, this that, that anger has been uh, amplified and even exacerbated. So Trump is making enemies, of course, with the... Uh, with the Mexicans for meeting. I mean, the, the, the threat to Trump is not just while in Mexico, or just having been in Mexico, but carries on afterwards. But, but back there's, to four, this. Go there's ahead. four direct scenarios that, uh, are coming out from, uh, a man's book, uh, the author of a forthcoming book touching on candidate's death. Uh, his name is Amar, and I don't see his last name here. Oh, you're talking about, uh, here, I got it right here. Akil Reed Amar. That's yes. Akil. Read Amar. Um, the author of this book, Touching on Candidates' Death, outlines four distinct scenarios that would warrant special consideration because of the wording of the 20th Amendment. One, a death before an election. Two, a death after an election, but before electors meet in December. Three, a death between electors voting and Congress counting votes in January and the time between Congress confirming the election results and the January 20th inauguration. The three post-election time frames identified by AMR 
are distinguished by whether the candidate technically is considered president-elect. That designation is covered by the 20th Amendment, which allows, in case of president-elect's death, that he or she may be replaced by the vice president-elect. But in the narrowest sense, those amendment terms only cover part of January. Though all considerations accounting for a candidate's death are hypothetical, they could come at a future point, uh, could become less so. We should never forget 9-11 was a local election day in New York, and Mark right. says. Yeah, and it, many people don't didn't realize that or don't realize that. Um, was it that was Yeah, and it was, it was the local elections affected by the terrorist attack on, on 9-11 of 01. But this is important. Now, I got an email from someone. We had touched on this earlier, or at least in the first segment, about the the fact that we, as Christian broadcasters, as broadcasters of within the alternative media, are being targeted. Um, Vivian from Ohio said, "Make sure you tell us how you know to mention how that uh, people can find us in the event that we're." Shut down as in the in the, in the manner in which we broadcast right now. Smoke signals. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. We will, and you will know. Um, we just don't want to give away anything right now. But I I, I will say that uh, Global Star our Global Star Radio Network is is strong, and uh, they're behind us, and we thank God that they exist. Todd is just a great person, and the venue is great. Uh, YouTube. Who knows? BTR. Who knows? Other venues, I don't know, but we do have some plans in place and working on other plans. So, folks, at the at the appropriate time, if that does ever happen, we will, you will know, you will know. But we're not going to announce anything before, you know, until until we at the, until the absolute last moment, because and that's why we ask you to bookmark plans. our websites, Hagman yes. and Hagman dot com and Hagman Report dot com, um, because if something were to happen where we were unable to actually speak to you in the manner that we are doing now, we would be able to write it out there. And as long as the Internet is up and running, that would be a place where we would be able to communicate to each other. That's right. All right. We had about seven, six minutes left before the top of the hour break, and after which Sergeant Tim will be joining us, which we're going to be talking about a number of um, important topics and issues um, with Sergeant Tim, who is still on active military duty. Um, oh, there it there goes. Go. There it goes. Drop my watch. Um, in other news today, we have Trump visiting a Mexican president, and the course, comes back yeah. and says that he didn't discuss uh, who is going to pay for the wall, but Mexican president disputes Trump over border wall payment discussion, according to CNN. But their meeting was much friendlier than CNN is leading on. Trump flew into a nation he's constantly berated during his campaign to meet the president of Mexico, um, Enrique Nieto. Now, this is CNN's words. Now, you can see and sense the hostility in their, uh, in their writing. Uh, they discussed a wall. He has vowed to build on the U.S. southern's border, but has not demanded that Mexico pay for it, an assertion the Mexican president later disputed. But um, other articles from from other uh, sources go on to show that Trump told the Mexican president, "Let's fight globalism together." This is a message that is being overlooked. In, uh, instead of uh, they're talking about the wall and who's going to pay for it, trying to um, hide the fact that Trump is you know reaching out to the leader of our 
nation to the south of us saying, not just build a wall, but let's stop the pace of globalism and the continuation of globalism in our respective countries together. Yeah. And that is not being reported. Uh, no. Mexican president actually said it was open and constructive conversation, despite what CNN is being uh, is reporting. So, uh, as Trump laid out five shared goals that the Mexican president had agreed on. So, despite whatever you hear about Trump going to Mexico and how much the president and all the citizens of Mexico hated it, it seemed to be quite a success as Hillary... Uh, took him to task for meeting a foreign leader. You know, I find it interesting. Though, Jeff, from him. I find it. I find it very interesting. What has Hillary Clinton done in this campaign? She's laying back like she doesn't have to do any of this, and of course she doesn't. But uh, the the customary, normal, and customary actions of a candidate. Yeah, you go to disaster areas, for yeah. example, the flooding. You go meet other heads of state. The president's not done? doing this. She's not doing this well, as as a uh, but as a candidate. What has she done exactly? So, so listen to this: two hundred seventy plus days. Hillary Clinton today used her first public event in nearly a week. What did it say? Wednesday, August thirty first. Right. So, first time she's been out in public in a week well, to bash Donald Trump for dropping in on Mexico, saying building relationships right. takes more than a photo op. And she spoke to a crowd uh, of veterans that seemed to be a third. Uh, of people missing from the chairs in the audience there. Well, um, what we're looking at here is, is well, I guess, the questions we have to ask. And what I would ask as an investigator, look at the actions of Hillary, Diane Rodham, the witch, the yak, Clinton. Time for a yak screen there. Uh, look at that. Look at her. Look, look at her behavior. Right. Look at her schedule. Is this the behavior of a presidential candidate or is this the behavior of someone who already knows the outcome <laughs> and is resigned to what either resigned to that's a good point going away or is she is she so sure of herself that she does, feels that she doesn't have to do this when you look at the last two weeks in wisconsin you had the um the police shooting of an armed man which led to riots where Trump went to speak on the racial tension yes. and relations between cops and uh, citizens in that community. You had the flooding in Louisiana, where Trump went to Louisiana and talked to victims of the flood, actually brought food and, and supplies down there with him. This is a man who seems to be acting very presidential, at least compared to the two alternatives, one being the, the renegade-in-chief and two being the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. That's right. I mean, you can't even get them to comment on these these things. Well, except in blaming Trump for them. Just myself, being an investigator by profession, I'm looking, still looking at Hillary, Diane Rodham, the act, Clinton, and looking at her behavior, looking at her um, actions or inactions, inactivity. Do you see what Obama's doctor this. said about her? That oh, Obama's own doctor came no, out today and said it. that she needs a neurological examination. I want to see how the leftist media spins this and how much, I mean, I know what you're saying is something different, but is, is, is there oh, something could, could to her that, health here yeah. that, you know, is putting her down? Or like you said, and like George Soros said, is there something they already know that they're, you know, 
But regardless, we, everyone knows there's something not right here with this picture. Everyone can feel it. Everyone can see it. it. You don't have to be a detective to understand that this behavior is not is not normal and customary for for a a, a, a presidential um, contender. And, and I think that we're seeing this play out, and everyone has this really bad feeling, sick feeling in the in the pit of their stomach when they look at this behavior, her inactivity, as compared to Trump. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the two primary candidates here, and of course you have Jill Stein and Johnson on the uh, Libertarian and Green yeah. Party tickets, respectively, or in that arena. Um, however, and and I, by the way, uh, off script here, I watched the interview with uh, Gary Johnson on Fox News on Sunday morning. Uh, in fact, okay. I, I meet with my step or with my father-in-law every Sunday morning. I take him coffee. Uh, He's suffering from Alzheimer's, and uh, we spend every Sunday morning together. Uh, the answers he gave, I don't know how many people, listeners and viewers out there saw that interview. My goodness. I mean, talk about a very schizophrenic platform or, or schizophrenic views. Did he uh, uh, defend carbon taxing in that interview? Because I saw a headline where it was, speaks about his willingness to he he was he, he yeah, well in part he intimated um and you can go to his website which i i don't recommend but he uh suggested that we need renewable energy so to answer your question there was an inference there a reference there however he social conservative or social conservative he is not um libertarian he he's, he defies description so is he a contender i really don't think so and well, I just he, found it just amazing. Could he do enough damage to take, you know, enough votes away from Trump to Perhaps. make a difference in the general election? That's yeah. the question we Perhaps. gotta ask. Folks, we're gonna be right back with Sergeant Tim on the other side. He's gonna get into an array of issues. That's Sergeant Tim on the Hagman and Hagman Report for the rest of the show. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. The Hagman and Hagman Report. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in, for listening to us, for your support, your prayers. We really appreciate that. Uh, um, if it seems like we're a little, or me especially, a little disjointed, uh, you know, I am. It's interesting to be on the receiving end, if you will, the receiving end of uh, of uh, the harassment by the by people and entities, groups out there that are letting you know, letting us know without any without any doubt whatsoever that we're on their list, that others like us are on their list to, to be shut down. It's very interesting. But we have a special treat for you for the next, for, well, for the remainder of the program. A gentleman that we're going to refer to as Sergeant Tim. Now, folks, we had we had previously brought individuals on our program that used various initials, for example. Um, we knew who they were just because 
they don't give their full name. We have vetted these individuals. The individual coming on right now, the man coming on is we're going to refer to as Sergeant Tim. That doesn't know. That doesn't mean we don't know anything about him. We know a lot about him. He has shared a lot with We've us. We've met him. Yes, we have met him in person and poked him to make sure he was real. <laughs> this is a gentleman that we believed, and I'm going to thank John too, John Robertson too, for uh, helping us set this up. We believe that this guest right now has information that pertains to every one of you, all of us in giving us the bigger picture as to what is taking place, in particular on the military end, in particular on the geopolitics, in particular on the domestic chain of command, the military. What's going on in the military, for example? You've got a lot of questions and a lot of concerns about this. This guest will answer them to the best that he can without revealing, well, without violating his oath and clearances. He is... He holds many clearances, above top secret clearances. So um, I'm not going to get in. In fact, what we should do, Joe, as we discussed, is let Sergeant Tim uh, give as much information about his background as he can, feels yeah. comfortable, and is able to. He Again, he's active until the end of next month. Uh, when his retirement becomes official, so he's he's really hamstrung by a lot of the um, yeah. There's uh, certain subject matters yeah. and topics, uh, points of discussion that he can get into at the moment. Sure. So yeah, we'll definitely let him lead Go us ahead. in our discussions, and we can ask questions from there, so we don't get into any murky water that we shouldn't be into with Sergeant Tim. Uh, Sergeant Tim, it's great to talk to you again, and welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. It's great to have you. Hey, thank you so much, Joe and Doug. Uh, and, and just right off the bat, and I hope that this doesn't embarrass you guys at all, but I, I want to thank you guys for having me on. I want to thank the listeners for, for, uh, letting me come into their living rooms with them. But I also want to tell the listeners that I hope that you guys understand just how valuable the Hagman and Hagman report is. Uh, you know, if, if you look at just this past week of information, uh, and, and guess, you know, you had a guy, you had, you had Steve Quell, who's world renowned in his areas of study. Then you had, uh, she, and, and Timothy Alberino. You had Sheila Zelensky on last night. And then they turn around and they let a guy like me come on, who's a relative unknown. And this is just a fantastic platform. And I thank you guys so much for everything that you do. Well, we want to thank you, Tim, and, uh, you know, we say just showing up here, uh, and the Lord does much in most of the rest of the work here, um, and we just show up, and, and uh, we have so many, such a great audience and so many great guests, including yourself, and there's so many uh, other great people out there that we still haven't heard from yet and, and haven't heard heard of us yet, but it's a, a unified joint effort, and without the audience, without people like yourself, we could not do what we do with any efficiency. And, and speak about potentially embarrassing, we want to thank you for walking a very thin line, coming on to this broadcast and being brave enough, I don't know if that's the right word, having the courage 
to inform our listeners, to inform the public as to what is going on in certain issues, walking that fine line where you, you can't violate. I mean, you, you say something improper, incorrect that gets out, or I shouldn't say improper. You, you venture into territory that uh, you can't or shouldn't by virtue of your oath. Um, you could face jail time for crying out loud. So thank you for your courage. Thank you for walking this very thin line, and thank you for being here to inform our listeners. With that, go ahead and, and give our, our audience a, an overview of who you are, and uh, we'll start th- We'll start from there, I suppose. Okay, absolutely. Um, and if I could, I'd like to just take a couple of minutes. It won't take that long, but I wanted to talk about a couple of things that, that, you, have, that you guys talked about there in the first hour. Uh, number one, I just want to thank Chance for everything that he does, and especially putting together the Bless Those Who Serve package uh, from American Survival Wholesale. Uh, throughout my military career, I have known quite a few lower enlisted and even some mid-level NCOs uh, who struggled, uh, not just in getting prepared, but in just making ends meet, living paycheck to paycheck. And so programs like that, packages like that, really mean a lot to the guys in uniform, just like I'm sure it means a lot to the law enforcement officers and, and the Border Patrol guys who really don't make enough money for what it is that they do, putting their lives on the line for us each and every day to keep our community safe and and to keep uh, the riffraff, so to say, out of the country. Um, the second thing that I wanted to, to talk about, um, I actually saw the article that... Uh, Joe brought up uh, about the ammunition uh, limiting the the sale of gunpowder. Um, I, I saw it off of Steve Quell's side. I go there pretty often. Uh, like you said, I, I retire at the end of this next month, and and I have quite a bit of leave going on uh, right now. So uh, I, I've been keeping up with world events pretty good, and, and Steve Quell's side is uh, one of one of the ones that I check out pretty regularly. He's got some, some top-notch information on there. And then lastly, um, before I get started, um, I wanted to talk about what you talked about in the, in the first hour and uh, the fact that we have so many, you know, the political climate in this country is such that people are coming out of, coming after, certain political groups are coming after uh, the alternative media, uh, the alt-right, as they choose to call it. And it is exactly for that reason uh, that I have to be very careful, and I hope that your listeners understand that uh, I would love to come out and, and say what my full name is, but with the political climate the way that it is, uh, I have to protect myself. I have a beautiful wife, two lovely children. If I ended up in prison, what would they do? And I feel like I can do far more being outside of a concrete cage than I can ever do within it. So with that being said, um, I I just hope that the the listeners understand. I know that there will be a lot of critics that will say, oh, he's a coward for not sharing his full name. Uh, I will tell you that, uh, and I'll borrow a line from my good friend John Robertson, fear has no part in faith. I am not afraid of any man, but I know what I can do not being locked up and what I can do being locked up, and I can have a far greater impact with my freedom. 
I that agree. being said, we agree. <laughs> yeah, and that's you're exactly right. Um, why put yourself in that position when you don't have to? And, and folks, I just want to remind every listeners again. Uh, we have a big classified sign up there, uh, uh, screen up on our, on, on our YouTube right now for a reason. All right. Because the gentleman that's with us is taking chances because of walking a very thin line. But I want everyone to understand we know who this person is. His identity has been verified. He's been vetted. We understand. So trust us, please, ladies and gentlemen, trust us to use, um, our, I don't know, background investigative skills <laughs> <laughs> to to verify that, that this guy is who he says he is. And if you would read his resume, yeah, yeah. Um, with that, uh, I just want to kind of give the, the audience a little bit of an overview of what I wanted to talk about tonight. Um, right off the bat, I kind of want to let people know who I am. Um, I think there, there's a big misconception in this country as far as people who work in the intelligence field people think we're all James Bond I will tell you that there is no such thing as James Bond uh, most of the people that I know that work in this field um, are very far from James Bond whether you talk about their attitude their body build or their habits um, I want to let people know who I am where I'm from uh, kind of give an overview of of my life before the military. Then I wanted to uh, talk about the contrast between when I came in in 1996 and what service is like now in 2016. And then uh, I want to talk about, I was an instructor at the Defense Language Institute in 2000, September 2001 when 9-11 happened, uh, working right alongside some uh, Soviet dissidents that came over to teach our military Russian. And I want to talk about the events of 9-11, what we saw there, and the reactions of those Russians to some of the events that came after that. And then lastly... Um, I used to work in arms control verification. I was an interpreter for arms control verification teams that went over and conducted conventional arms inspections within the former Soviet Union, as well as uh, escorting their guys whenever they came to inspect our equipment in Europe. And so I have been to almost every country of the former Soviet Union multiple times. Uh, the country that I've been to the most is Ukraine. And I want to give people a little bit more of an understanding of what is going on in Ukraine, what's going on with Russia, and some of the other areas of the former Soviet Union. Sounds good. And I just want to remind people that uh, what he just, what this gentleman just said was, uh, he was an instructor at the DLI when 9/11 happened, and you watched the events of 9/11 on Russian television. You watched it all. In yes. Cold. All right. Yes. Let's start with rock. Go ahead. Awesome. Um, so I was born and raised in rural southeast Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know too much about southeast Oklahoma, uh, and those that do probably refer to it as the armpit of the world. But uh, 
it's it's unlike anything uh, most people's image of Oklahoma. Most people think of Oklahoma as being flat, kind of dry. Uh, southeast Oklahoma is actually really really green. We have a national forest there. There's lakes and rivers everywhere. It's it's beautiful country. I I, I refer to it as God's country. Um, I was born and raised in Choctaw County, which. If you look it up, is actually the second poorest county in Oklahoma, and it's bordered by the first poorest county in Oklahoma. So um, there is just not a lot of economic opportunity there. Uh, I graduated high school in 1991, and if you do the math, you'll figure out that I was 23 years old whenever I uh, joined the military. Uh, and up until I joined the military, um, I worked in a lot of factories. Uh, now, these were not unionized factory jobs. They were not the, the ones that you see on TV striking for more money. They're not the ones that are making $20 an hour. I was making minimum wage, and at that time I was making about $4.25 an hour. And they were not the best of conditions by any means, uh, not the best of pay, but... After uh, the big push for NAFTA and, uh, of course, the subsequent passing of NAFTA, all of those factories um, closed their doors and moved to Mexico, where labor was even cheaper, which further depressed the region. Um, you know, I go back there today, and it's amazing to me that it's even the same place, Uh Drugs are very, very rampant there, uh, especially meth. And it's just, it's a totally different place than where I grew up. You know, when I grew up, everybody left their doors unlocked at night. You can trust uh, that anyone coming up to your house had good intentions, and now crime has really taken over because people just don't have the means to to survive, really. Uh, and And... Tons of people are on, on food stamps and government assistance. I myself was raised, uh, after my parents divorced, on uh, food stamps and government assistance. And it was working in one of those factories that I, I met my wife, the, the love of my life, uh, in 1994. Um, a lot of people will probably uh, judge me based on this, but you should understand that I was in no way uh, born again or, or saved at that point in my life. Um, we moved in together pretty quickly. And uh, my son was born in April of 1996. Um, and in May of 1996, my wife and I were married. Uh, a lot of people will, will say, well, you know, he was born out of wedlock or born in sin. A lot of other people will say, well, you guys didn't really know each other that long, but considering the fact that we've been married for over 20 years now, uh, I do think the Lord shined a little bit of, of grace into this relationship. Um, I entered basic training in September of that year. Uh, I will say the the military did play a hand in, in my decision to get married. We had always intended on getting married, but... We just didn't have the money even for uh, the license. Um, and the military said, hey, you can't come in if you have a child. 
without having someone to take care of that child, even though we know that that you know your your girlfriend here can can take care of him on paper, it needs to be official. Um, so we uh, we got my brother to drive us down to Texarkana and went to the Justice of the Peace and and got it all done in one day and uh, haven't looked back since I guess. Um, and if, if I could take a, just, just a minute here, I was in, in prayer for most of the afternoon, and the Lord really laid something on my heart that I had never really thought about. And uh, All right. I, I think, Doug, that you'll understand this, and I think that most of the audience, especially the male audience, will understand this. Um, like I said, I, I was not a, uh, a born-again Christian. I did a lot of things, in, especially in my early years, that I regret. I, I made a lot of poor decisions. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing, and I hung out with a rough crowd that I should not have hung out with. And while I was praying, I was thanking the Lord for all of, all of the blessings that I have in my life, my family, this opportunity, the friends that I have that are, are true, solid friends now. And it just came over me all of a sudden. You know, we, we refer to the Lord as our Heavenly Father. And there's a difference between fatherly love and motherly love. I watch, I've watched with my wife with my children from the moment they've been born, and motherly love is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And it has its place. Fatherly love has its place as well, but it's a little bit different. And I, I can say to you, the the thing that, that really hit me the hardest is I can't believe that the Lord took me from where I was at as a father and put me where I am today to to take all of the disappointments that I put before him, all of the things that I put him through as a father, for him to stick by me and take me and lift me up to where I am today, that shows the the kind of love that the Lord has for every one of us. And I, I unconditional that, love for those who are the, those who accept his son, unconditional love. I mean, it's you're talking about unconditional love, and and folks, right. the reason this is important, the context will become evident as the program unfolds. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, um, and and I just I hope that maybe somebody is is listening to this either live or at rebroadcast hears that message and understands what I'm talking about and and makes changes in their life. You know. Um, I don't know that at that point in time, if I'd even heard that message, that it would have made an impact on me. But I know that whenever I heard it just a few years ago, on the Hagman and Hagman report, it did affect me. And it, it made me make the appropriate changes to get my relationship with the Lord back where it needed to be. And, you know, you talk about getting prepared in my book, getting right with the Lord is the number one prep that you should have in your go bag. But anyway. Amen. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we've all, um, Tim, we've all had, we, we've all lived 
kind of a crusty life, or at least most of us, the majority of us, before becoming uh, saved and, and dedicating our, our lives as Christians. So we understand that. So, you know, wow, you, and, and what you said is indeed uh, important. It's the, the love of the Father. Exactly. A, you know, what a distinction. Mm. Um, okay. So anyway, I, I went to basic training in September. Uh, whenever I signed up to, to join the military, I signed up as a Russian linguist with that job guaranteed. Um, I'd always been been fascinated with Russia. Uh, you know, my father was a, a staunch patriot. Um, he uh, he had some kind of some kind of strange beliefs. I think most people would say uh, he would never let us read Dr. Seuss books because he said they were communists. Uh, and stuff like that. But uh, I joined up as a Russian linguist, and uh, I completed the, the Russian basic course there in Monterey in 1997. But going back to what Chance was talking about, so like I said, uh, before I joined the military, uh, once my wife and I got married and, and my son came along, we were on government assistance. We were on food stamps. Uh, we got assistance with our housing and, uh, of course, WIC and, and some other assistance. And part of the reason for me joining the military was I did not want to raise my children the same way that I had been raised. I wanted to give them the best opportunity I possibly could. Uh, and so I joined the military. We get out there to Monterey. We get set up in housing on the, the former Ford Ord. Um, Almost all the students that, that go to class there live out there on the former Ford Ord, uh, which is a closed base, and, and now it's it, just anyone can drive through there. Um, but we get our house. We're, we're starting to, to get furniture. We're starting to get uh, all the things that we need to build a proper home. And uh, one of the first things that the military did um was there's there's a lady we always just called her the welcome wagon lady she worked for uh one of the the services there on base and when new people moved in she brought like a, a basket of fruit and some bread and she sat down with the wives and explained to them all the benefits that they or i should say spouses all the benefits that they had uh available to them and i remember i came home that day from school that the, the lady had visited and my wife was just out of sorts and, and I asked her, I was like, so what's what's going on, what's wrong? And she told me that the lady had come and, and she was very, very nice and everything, but one of the first things that she told my wife is, you guys should sign up for food stamps. And my wife looked her dead in the eye and she said, you know what, we were on food stamps and government assistance when my husband joined the military. I will not, if we can make it any other way, I will not go back on government assistance. And the very fact that you say that we should is a slap in the face. Okay. So, you know, the again, the context. Look, Folks, look at that. Look at the... And consider that here you are serving our country. How is our country serving you or taking care of you? 
Interesting. Right. Exactly. And, um, go ahead. No, uh, Sergeant, we got about a minute before the top of the hour break. Um, right. So let's, uh, let's take a, a stop here. Uh, folks, you're listening to Sergeant Tim. He's been generous enough to come on our show tonight. He's been uh, on before. We had the pleasure of meeting him at a conference in Dallas back in, in March. And um, he has and will provide you know important information. And I want to get into the uh, your background um, with the the Russian um, the translation, and uh, we can talk about that on and the other course, side. Of course, nine eleven too, because you've got some important information there from the Pentagon angle. Yeah, all of this, but laying out the groundwork, laying out the foundation, the fact that look. Back in the 90s, look look at that. Pay was far below the national median income. The Even the leadership of the military, and, of course, our executive leadership was different than it is today. Um, the whole process changed different. But there is the picture from Tim's early years. How does that relate today? You're going to see. Why is this important? You're going to see. Just stay right where you're at, folks. You're listening to the Hagman Hagman Report show. You're you were right on the money with that. And um, again, Sergeant Tim, using his first name only, we're protecting his identity because of his service, because of his rank. Stay Protect. with us. Sergeant Tim, our special guest for the rest of this evening, um, we just brought him on in the last segment. We are going over some of his history um, that led us that led him to where he is today, a man in uniform, soon to be retired. Then um, we pray for Sergeant Tim and thank him for coming on. Uh, Sergeant, I'm going to let you can continue uh, where you were going before the break, and then we can get into some of these topics whenever you're ready. Well, and, and what I'd like to do now is just kind of uh, get into some of the the military stuff as far as contrasting what it was like in the 90s through to what it's like today. Um, one of the, the biggest things, one of the biggest problems that I see in our military today is that we have... Well, it's, it's multifaceted, as most things are, whenever you talk about um, these types of things. Uh, one of the things that the military started to do in the late 90s was they began this entire movement of what they said uh, was, was taking part of the, uh, the administrative side out to enable... Um, everyone in the military to be a war fighter, to have one of those war fighting jobs, whether you're talking about supply, you know, and being in the rear with the, with the gear, intelligence in the rear with the gear, or you're talking about the guys that are actually kicking in doors and taking out terrorists. Um, and so it, it, when they did that, 
they started to draw down the number of admin troops, the guys that look after our personnel records, the guys who look after um, our orders, whether you're talking about permanent change of station or you're talking about temporary duty. Uh, and they took out a large number of the finance people, the guys who watch over our paychecks, make sure that we're getting the pay that we're supposed to get, that we get it on time, and that all of the different pays, because I don't know if you've ever looked at a at a military, uh, we call it a LES, it's a leave and earning statement, uh, if you've ever looked at one of those or not, but it's got, um, you know, most people collect several different types of pay. Some of them are taxable, some of them are not taxable, and um, some of them you get as a as kind of a, a monthly bonus for different skills that you might have. For instance, as a as a linguist, I get paid based on, uh, or I get extra pay based on the level of skill I have in the language that I know. Uh, guys that are in special duties get. Uh, paid for that, and of course, I think everyone's heard of combat pay and hazardous duty pay and stuff like that. Um, okay, so, so how, how was the pay? How was the, let's bring it to, to, to today's relevance here. The pay back in the 1990s far below the national median income. How does it stand today? And if it's changed <laughs> for the worse, who broke it? Who broke the system? Well, when here's the thing: I was actually surprised by this. Uh, whenever I looked up the numbers uh, for a comparison just for my own knowledge, I found that pay today is even lower than the median income, you know, uh, lower by a, a larger percent of the median income nationally than what it was in 1996 whenever I came in. Uh, now, in 96, we had far more people on government assistance, I believe, than what we do today, although we do still have quite a few on government assistance today. But, and, and that brings me to another sweeping change that I don't think most people realize is they have changed things. Um, they, they brought about programs in order to um, better life for single soldiers. And I'm all so, for that. I mean, so everyone... Tim, Tim, this speaks to, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I, we have a lot mm-hmm. to cover. So, this right. speaks to the 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 um, oh the the feminization or or the the this speaks to bringing in the homosexual uh, crowd. This speaks to bringing in the the lesser, well, the the all inclusiveness, right? Exactly. All exactly. Right. Because, you know, once upon a time, you might come in as a single guy, but it was pretty much expected that at some point in your career you were going to get married, and there were added benefits not to encourage you to have more children or to uh, uh, go out and get married, but there were added benefits just to help you maintain the level of life that you had as a single person as well. Well, they did away with all of that there in the 90s. Um, they they said no. We want pay to be the same. You you do get still get a little bit of uh, extra pay if you have a family, but it's just one rate. You don't get based off of your family size. It is either with family or without family. Um, and what they did uh, was they. Uh, they, they, like you said, they laid the groundwork for the single soldier. But 
but at the same time, they made it harder on a man who has a family to stay in for any period of time because as your family grows, whether you're talking about two children or you're talking about five children, and I do know some people in the military who have five and six children, uh, it becomes harder and harder to to make it. Which this is a, a, a backdoor, yeah, a backdoor assault on the nuclear family in favor of the, uh, well, in favor of the <laughs> new, newly defined family, shall we say? I, I exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. Well, and the other thing is with with getting rid of these admin people and these finance people, um, it's not that that the the demands for that bureaucracy went away. It's that it shifted from someone being there to help you fill out those forms and to help you look after that to you having to do all that on your own. And it seemed like every couple of years they'd roll out a new program, just adding more and more stuff onto you to the point where today the average uh, military person writes their own orders, whether those are temporary duty orders or those are permanent change of station orders. That's Um, pretty scary. Well, uh, and, and it's a computerized form, but at the same time, uh, our guys should not be doing that themselves. There should be someone taking care of that so that they can, as the intention was, be war fighters and not be paper pushers. There you go. Uh, that's that's the that's the <laughs> quote right there. So, so they took away the support structure. They took that away from you. They they put that on you as the soldier and the incoming new incoming uh, recruits, and so so they overburdened you in that respect while continuing their assault on the uh, biblical nuclear family. Okay, very very right. very interesting. All right, right. And this and has been a process. It, it's been incremental, just like every other change in this country has been. Right. Okay. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, they, they came in and they forced us to take uh, what they called the government credit card. Uh, one, uh, whenever they first rolled it out, they uh, promised us all, number one, that it, it wasn't going to be mandatory and that it would in no way reflect on our credit rating and and all of that because okay. they knew that whenever it comes time to pay for that credit card, they're inevitably in the military. The military is a monstrosity of bureaucracy that was only rivaled by the Soviet Union, and I can draw many parallels between those two. But inevitably, your pay for that temporary duty or, or whatever you're talking about is is delayed for some reason. Maybe they, they had to audit your paperwork or, or whatever. Um, and back Whenever I first came in, that wasn't a problem because if I was going to move to a different base, I simply went to finance. They went into the cash cage. They pulled out 75% of what they calculated the cost of the move to be, and they counted it out right there in cash, put it over to you, and said, if you run out, that's on you. Right. Now, everyone has the government credit card. They still will only pay you 75% of what they calculate the cost to be, but at the end of the month, that credit card comes due. And if you have not been paid by the government for your temporary duty or your move or whatever, then 
that reflects on you. You'll be standing in front of your commander and, and your first sergeant, and you will be. Uh, it, it, they yeah, there's still penalties. Claim it doesn't yeah. Right. There's they penalties for, for that. And right. I, I, I don't mean to talk over you, but but what they've what they've developed is a, is a closed system where they pay you, they issue, they 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 compel you to take this government credit card. You you default, meaning you're late on a payment. They can come in and enforce the measures that will reflect re- reflect very poorly on you and have consequences and implications against your service. Exactly, and right. especially okay. for someone. Especially for someone in my position that is in an, in an intelligence job, because part of our background check is your financial stability. If you have those missed payments there on your credit report, that reflects poorly on you as a candidate for an intelligence job. Right. Now you've got, so, and they've they pulled the chair out from underneath you for the um, the camaraderie, the the uh, support structure. Now you're on your own, and so what they've developed is really. A circular a cage for you with respect to finances. They got they have complete control over you, and using that government credit card, they can monitor everything you do, basically. Whereas exactly. cash, not so much. There you are. Okay. Well, yeah, and, and and I'll agree. You know, there are guys that will go out that would go out whenever we got cash and would spend it on things that they probably shouldn't have been spending it on. Whether you're talking about booze or you're talking about uh, you know going out to the club or whatever. But it was it it created a sense of personal responsibility. Look, we're going to pay you this. It's on you to make sure that you spend it on the right thing. Once again, one of the things that's missing from our society today is personal accountability and a little bit of discipline in order to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to be doing. And it's uh, it's enabling this culture of holding the person's hand until and and you have people who are now in their 30s that still act like children with money because they were never forced to be disciplined in the spending of their money exactly <laughs> this is a welfare mentality within the most important of government agencies that being the military instead of be all you can be be what we tell you, you only what we tell you you can be and the lack of accountability lack of uh uh, leadership. I suppose that's the key. Lack of experience, qualified leaders. Yeah, they took that away from you. Okay. So, so they've created this, this, this internal system, this circular system of, of, well, this bureaucracy as well. But, but okay. So, uh, now today, here we are 20 years later after the 90s. You and our military, I shouldn't say you, but our military, is really a captive audience to the bureaucracy or a captive uh, operation to the bureaucracy. Exactly. Right? And 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 what makes what makes me the most fearful is the fact that and and I can't speak to a lot of the the combat arms uh jobs. I have worked with a lot of those guys in some of my special duties. But uh, especially in the intelligence environment, because the NCO Corps and the senior NCO Corps are spending most of their time doing nothing but, but pushing paper, whereas whenever I first came in, I was trained up by senior NCOs how to do my job, and senior NCOs were sitting right next to me doing the exact same work. Now the senior NCO is pushed back into an office doing paperwork, 
And the people with the least amount of training and the least amount of experience are the ones who are running the intelligence mechanism in this country. And, and that's, and if uh, that, folks, that's if a that doesn't, Right. If yeah. that doesn't scare you, I, there's something wrong with you. All right. And the uh, other fact that political correctness destroyed your, well, the unit cohesion created an environment where people are not comfortable speaking about any issues, whether it's inside the, of the workplace, outside. You've got PC run amok. You've got anti-Christian sentiment, of course. You've got a system that is uh, not only a surveillance state within the military, but a captive. They're holding you captive. So all of this combined, uh, where we are today, has affected the effectiveness, morale, and cohesion of, of of our military forces beyond anything it's kind of like in in my view anyway after reviewing which which you had sent me looking at this from a larger perspective they have when i say they i'm talking about our, our leadership has really uh, wow uh set set up our military to lose through morale lack of morale lack of leadership lack of support and put you in as 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 who who said uh, Joe the uh, the the globalist who said you know our military men are nothing but a cannon Henry fodder Kissinger. Henry Kissinger so, military so, men are nothing but dumb stupid animals to be used as uh, yeah. pawns and um, so so the, that that's a mission accomplished policy yeah mission yeah. accomplished yeah well and and just one more element of that and then and then I'll move on into the the nine eleven stuff. But I think it's important that people understand what shape our military is in and what what they're what they're supporting whenever they say I support the troops and what they are um, thanking people for whenever they say I thank you for your service because I can tell you and and maybe I'm an anomaly and I know that a lot of people out there will say well Sergeant Tim is just a, a cranky old man. Uh, probably jaded, uh, but when somebody comes to me and says, thank you for your service, I'll be quite honest with you, it, it falls very hollow on me because I know that most people will say that and then they go on about their day and they could care less about what the rest of my day was like. That's right. Um, no, I mean, it, it's a lot of times it's just something to say because it's been popular, it's trite, it's meaningless. I understand that, yeah. You're right. And then, like I said, the, the last thing that I wanted to, to talk about that, that shows, that, that completes the circle of this is just in the last few years, and, and some of the services have had it longer, some of the services are just now adopting it, uh, but the promotion system, the, the changes that are being made across the services as far as how you get promoted, again, they make it sound really good because they say we're going to push this down to the commander level. We're, we're going to let the commander make the decisions because he knows his people better or she knows his, her people better. And that sounds really good. And, and as as a military service member, I hear that and I say, oh, great. You know, I'm not going to have to go to some kind of nameless, faceless organization and hope that I'm competitive. I get judged right here at, at my unit level. Mm. But what it has yeah. turned into is a a political race of sorts. You know, you're campaigning just like uh, somebody that's running for office. 
in that, number one, you're not going to speak anything against the authority that is within the unit for fear that they won't mark you as high whenever it comes that time to evaluate you. And uh, you're going to just go along with whatever they say because uh, otherwise you're, you're basically committing career suicide. Right. At the same yes. time, because you are competing against the guy of the same rank that's sitting right next to you, well, I'm not going to help you out because that's going to make me, you know, that's going to make you look better than me. So you're on your own, buddy. And I'm definitely not saying that I did that, uh, but I'm saying that I, I am starting to see it more and more in the military, and that has completely destroyed the camaraderie right. and the unit cohesiveness, which directly relates to the combat readiness of our military services. So, so it's it's an intended incremental destruction from within by policy, procedure, bureaucracy, and and all of that. And it's just it's basically it's a mess. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. All right. So okay. <laughs> uh, and and uh, again, I'm just being very uh, uh, conscious about time here. So, all right, that's really a great overview. Now, take us into, you go through the 90s, here you are, 9-11-2001, you are an instructor at DLI, and you are working right alongside Russian immigrants that have come over primarily during the Reagan administration. So they've right. been here for a while, and, and right. here you are, you're working alongside the Russians. 9-11 happens. Talk to us. So the morning of, of September the 11th, uh, I've always been a little bit of a news junkie, and, and I got up that morning. And usually I didn't get up in time to, to watch the news before I got to work, and I just watched it once I got to work. Um, something told me that morning, you need to turn on CNN. And, and I turned it on, and I saw the second plane hit because uh, I was out on the West Coast. And uh, I was like, uh, at first I thought it had to have been some kind of Hollywood movie. You know, I was in shock just like everyone else. Um, and the events, you know, I, I got to work. I sat in office at the time with uh, a Navy senior NCO and an Army senior NCO. Uh, I myself was a junior NCO. And as we sat there and watched the events unfold throughout the day, the very first thing, you know, <laughs> We, we sat there in shock and disbelief and we really didn't talk for, for most of the morning. And the, the first time we did talk, um, the Army senior NCO just turned to us and he said, that doesn't look right. That, that's not the way that an explosion happens. That's, that's not the way that buildings explode. That's, something's wrong here. Um, okay. At the same time, no, 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 so these are experienced. I mean, experienced people saying it does not look right, right? Right, right. Within the military, within our own military. Okay. And and that was because we all got together later that day, all of the instructors, and that was the general consensus from people from all four services. Now that was immediately um, replaced. Uh, by the emotional response to what happened at the Pentagon and the fact that several of our guys knew people that were in the Pentagon 
at the time that uh, and in the in the area that was struck at the time that the Pentagon was struck. So uh, just like we see in a, in a lot of different events, uh, emotional response is manipulated in order to cause that doubt to be stripped from your mind. Um, and I think that we see that play out more and more today than we did even back then. I think that I think that there was uh, they, they saw some benefit to that, and I'll just leave that at that. Did you feel uh, obviously you felt like you were being gamed, but did you feel that there was any at the level which you were at? Did you feel like there was any foreknowledge? Any? orchestrated conspiracy by virtue, I mean, I'm using that word um, correctly. Did you feel that that was like the starting of a false narrative from the top down? Or, or, or were you just thinking, hey, this is just my gut talking and others' guts talking, this is something that is not right? Um, I, I had that sense, but I will say this, um, you know, a, a lot of people will say, oh, I woke up, you know, several years ago, or I woke up 10 years ago. Um, I was brought up in a household where my father really encouraged all of us to not just read and, and watch movies and, and watch TV, but to question everything that that we saw. And he really, like, he engaged us in a lot of conversation. Um from a very young age, he talked to us as if we were adults and, and encouraged us to uh, think critically about a lot of things. And so even before I came into the military, I already, um, I guess you could say, was a conspiracy theorist, although I hate that, I hate that label, um, but I've been called it quite a bit. But um, I already knew about a lot of the various uh, organizations and powers around the world that were working even back then. Um, I looked at it, and, and I'll, I'll honestly say, the immediate shock of everything didn't... Uh, I wasn't thinking as critically as I should have been. And it wasn't until that Army senior NCO turned around because they had just shown uh, a, a replay of the building falling uh, and he said that's that doesn't look right that looks straight about, out of Hollywood you're talking about lower Manhattan now you're talking about the World Trade Center correct right right okay all right and, and he said okay. that, that looks straight out of Hollywood or something like you'd see on TV whenever they collapse a building um, and, and like I said, once we all got together, that was the general consensus. All right. Well, um, I've got to ask you this real quick. What was the reaction of the Russians that were with you? That's got to well, be telling. I'll, I'll say two things. Um, number one, um, maybe I saw, I guess I saw the first plane hit that morning. And whenever I got to work, I saw the second plane hit. Because when the second plane hit, um, I was watching Russian TV, and I have always said I really think that the United States of America missed out on a huge opportunity to become closer with Russia on September the 11th. And part of the reason why I say that is when that plane hit, the the Russian male commentator, and if you know anything about Russians, you know that they're they're very macho guys. 
broke down into tears and wept on live television in front of his nation about the the loss of life and what was going on. Well, that's um, that's an interesting reaction, um, Tim. We're up against the break right now. I just this oh, is a I'm message sorry. to those. No problem. This is a message to the people watching us live on YouTube, folks. We have to reboot a computer here internally, so you might get a buffer. Just hang with us. Don't don't adjust your TV set. And we're going to be back with you in moments. We're going to take this opportunity to reboot. We're coming back. Our guest is Tim from. The military talking about 9-11 at this moment. Stay right where you're at. Sergeant Tim, uh, he's a guest on our show this evening and will be a, a guest in the future as he is a current sergeant in the U.S. military, uh, soon to retire uh, here in just a, a short month or so. Um, we want to thank you again, Sergeant Tim, for spending your time with us here on this Wednesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Before the break, we were talking about 9-11, and you made a comment about how you wished that the U.S. used that tragedy of 9-11 to create better relations between Russia and America. Could you continue on that? Oh, yeah. Um, so, if, if I can, I know that we, we're, we're um, coming up on the last hour here, and so I'm going to kind of speed things up a little bit from what uh, I was talking okay. about. Um I want to specifically point to, uh, you know, Doug was asking about uh, the response of the Russians to certain things with 9-11. And one of the things that I, I want to take us back to is 25 October 2002. Now, a lot of you probably, or I'm sorry, 25 November 2002. I know a lot of people probably don't remember what that day was. I remember it very vividly because that was the date that they came out and they announced the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. I was sitting in my office and I had seen the announcement on TV um, and I did think it was a strange name for a new department and and kind of, you know, shrugged it off myself, just kind of thinking, well, that's kind of 1985-ish there. I mean, 1984-ish. Um, but... My door swung open, and my teaching team, which our teaching teams there were about six to seven uh, people, you know, immigrants from Russia, along with one military instructor, and, and my entire Russian teaching team came into my office in tears, the, the men and the women, uh, and they were just boohooing, and, and I, I was trying to figure out what was going on and console them a little bit, you know, what, what's got you guys so upset? And one of the men who, he worked there together with his wife, and he turned to me, he had his arm around her, and he turned to me, and he said, we don't have anywhere else left to go. We thought that it was going to be safe here in America, 
And now that they've created the Department of Homeland Security, it's all happening all over again, but this time it's happening here. Okay, these are people from Russia? Is that what you're saying, or no? Yes, they well, okay. they were from the Soviet Union. Soviet Union, more appropriately, yes. Okay, so, so they could, even then, on November 25th, 2002, the date that the Department of Homeland Security was created, they recognized that, wait a minute, this we left this under communist Soviet Russia. Yes. Okay. All right. They, okay. they recognize the, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what Greg Jackson was talking about. Um, and, and I'm going to do a little shameless plug here. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I, I have a website. Uh, it's outlawpatriotnews.wordpress.com. I do have some of Greg's articles on there. I have some articles from uh, John Robertson as well as myself and, and some other great friends of mine who are gracious enough to let me put their work on there. But at the same time that Greg had his show with you guys, he wrote a, an article about his um, the the new speak, so to speak, and, and the power of words. And uh, and I he sent it to me, and I, I posted it up on Outlaw Patriot News. And it's it's similar to what he's talking about there. They recognize the wordplay as something very Soviet. Exactly. And, and, Tim, and folks, I didn't know if you wanted to identify that website. Look, folks, we know who this gentleman is, and, of course, it wouldn't take much to, you know, search it out. But, but the fact of the matter is, why make it easy for the uh, for, for people? But so, so, you know, we're using discretion as the better part of valor in this case. Okay. Uh, and very good. Okay. So, all right. 9-11. Here's one of the questions I had that I need an answer to. The, when the Pentagon was struck on 9/11, going back to 9/11 from uh, of 01 as opposed to uh, November of 02, what was? Uh, did you get any intelligence from the people in the Pentagon that wait a minute, this wasn't a plane, or this was a plane, or it was you know whatever it might have been? I mean, what was the intel coming from the Pentagon to you, if any? That, that unfiltered. We didn't get anything unfiltered, um, okay. and that's that's the the great thing about you know that's that's another change that came about uh, during this this twenty years of of changes. Once upon a time, uh, we weren't as compartmentalized as we are today. And that's by design. And I'll just leave it as that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And and, and see. Once more, we're looking at the the difference, the context, the context, and how this has incrementally changed over the years to to give you a military that's essentially broken um, or, or easily controlled, and as you say, compartmentalized for purpose. Okay, so you, but but now, have you learned anything from your military sources about nine eleven that is significant that you could share with our audience in terms of straight intel? Um, you know whether and, and we tie that into the Patriot Act. Yes, I yes, as well. Yeah, or, or, uh, yeah, whatever. If you can speak on that, uh, I'm I'm sorry, but I really can't speak on those topics. Okay, l- let me throw some out uh, out at you, and, and maybe okay, we don't have and to I'm talk sorry about, about this. That. No, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll just throw a couple of questions out, and if you can't answer, uh, if in your capacity based on what you've seen. 
real simple question. The narrative, the story, the accounts of 9-11 as the America has been given, is there knowledge, do you have knowledge that those accounts are fabricated, wrong, incorrect, whatever? I can only give my own opinion, um, which should count for something because opinions are um, formulated based on information that you have. Right. Um, I I won't say that the entire thing is fabricated, but certain elements of it certainly are. Mm. All right. Okay. Yeah, and again, we want to be respectful of your position and, you know, 20 years invest time investment. Uh, we don't want to see you in uh, Leavenworth, you know, in, in November over Christmas. So, all right. You guys would come and see me? No, well, you know what? We'll send you it. We'll bake you a cake. Yeah. Put My a goodness. file in it. Yes. Well, you're breaking rocks out there. Well, okay. Let, let's let's talk about things you can talk about. And you're, you, you perhaps right. you, you feel, it. and especially your area of experience: Russia, Ukraine, the USSR, the, uh, meaning the old Soviet Union. People say, "Well, we, what's USSR?" I'm, I'm sure some millennials might be in that. Uh, um, now, you were in Ukraine. You, you visited Ukraine a number of times while conducting. You were an arms control inspector, or. Uh, I- uh, you were involved in arms control, right? Did I say that, or right. am I not allowed? Right. Okay. I All was. Right. Uh, I was an interpreter for uh, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which is the American Arms Control Verification Agency. Uh, once upon a time, it was the On-Site Inspection Agency, but uh, just like so many things in the government, it all went under one umbrella agency. Once upon a time, also, um, and so what we did. Uh, the the treaties that we signed with the Soviet Union back in the days of uh, Reagan and Ekman or before Reagan, uh, as far as arms control, uh, and you're talking about nuclear, you're talking about uh, bio, and you're talking about conventional weapons. Uh, we inspected those. Now we had one department that inspected the the nuclear stuff. We had one department that did the chem bio stuff, and then I worked in the department that did the conventional weapons, which in my opinion was far more fun because we got to go climb all over tanks and go shoot on their ranges and stuff like that. But um, I was selected for that duty uh, based on my my language ability, and at that time, you also had to pass uh, some interviews and, and uh, they kind of just wanted to know who you were. Just as important as your ability to speak fluently was your ability to not crack under pressure and your ability to um, counter uh, certain things that the Russians might do. Because as you might expect, um, it, it doesn't take a, uh, a brain surgeon to figure this out. There is a little bit of a game that goes on because whenever you have boots on the ground on a potential adversary's base, there are games that are going to be played. Um, so, so they wanted to make sure that, that you weren't going to crack, that, that you could stand your ground and that you could stand up to that type of lifestyle uh, because you would be gone from anywhere from a week all the way up to several months uh, not just doing the inspections, but because we were considered the the top 
Russian linguists in the military as a whole. We also got farmed out to different military exercises. We got farmed out to uh, different embassies to do jobs within them. Um, we even had some partnerships with stuff like the George C. Marshall Center uh, in, in Garmisch, Germany, where we would go down and, and help um, the student liaison office uh, with, with the students that were coming in from the Russian-speaking countries. Um, so within the auspices of that, uh, part of it, uh, I would be there for arms control inspections, part of it for exercises or working out of the embassy. And then we also did language training in country, which is something that they won't allow us to do whenever we're in the regular military because they're afraid of the counterintelligence threat. Um, but I have visited Moscow, I think I visited it, it about 12 times. Um, I was in Ukraine about 20 times, and um, especially Crimea. I was all over Crimea several times uh, because there were different types of inspections that we would perform. Sometimes it would be on a single base, and sometimes we would draw a box around an area, and we would inspect every military base within that box. Um, uh, Sergeant Tim, we're seeing a lot uh -huh. of activity in Ukraine, Crimea, and Russia. Um, can you give us some insight as to what what you think's going on over there right now? Yeah, I mean, you've been there. Based on what you just said, you got to have that that level of of well, you got to have a reasoned opinion as to what is taking place, as Joe asked. Yeah, so go ahead. Um, so, so the first thing that I will say is. Um, having that background, having been to almost every military base in Ukraine, um, and having worked several military exercises in Ukraine, um, the events that unfolded back during the, uh, the revolution there uh, blew my mind. Number one, the first thing that popped in my mind was during an exercise in 2007, the Seabreeze exercise, I was there, and we had protesters standing outside of our hotel uh, with signs that said, you know, NATO yet, and, and, you know, NATO no, and, and all this stuff. And they would yell at us and stuff. Um, but one day, we just decided to, because we, went, we needed to get something to eat, we decided to just walk through the protesters and go. And the thing that we found as we walked through, because they could immediately tell that we were Americans because we weren't dressed like Ukrainians, um, they they came up to us and, and they said, you know what, we're sorry about this. We actually love America, but they're paying us to stay out here. And you had primarily college students and you had retired people that were out there protesting as paid protesters. And kind of like what you see here in America, especially with these race-related police shootings in different uh, parts of the country. And paid by who, uh, Tim? Um, they wouldn't say. They would just say that somebody uh, contacted them and said that they would pay them basically the equivalent of $30 to stand out there all day and yell at us. Um, and so that, like I said, that was the first thing that popped up in my mind was as as the protest started there, the Maidan protest uh, on, on the square there is – are these people being paid to do this? Then 
The second thing that popped in my head was during the exact same exercise, I had met this Ukrainian guy. He was he was special forces. And and one thing that I will say to you guys is we have a, a very strange perception of Russia and Ukraine in this country. Um, one thing that I have found in, in visiting all the places that I've been and visiting with people all over the world is at the end of the day, everyone on earth wants basically the same thing, and that's just to be left alone and let them live their lives. But I had I had struck up a conversation with this guy, and I'd gotten to know him. Uh, oddly enough, we shared the same birthday, uh, and we had the same number of kids, and so we were showing each other pictures of our kids and, and all this. And all of a sudden, he shows me a picture of the hammer and sickle. And he said, Tim, whenever I joined the Ukrainian military, I joined under this symbol. And then he swiped it over to the NATO symbol. And he said, now they tell me that I should serve under this symbol. And he said, honestly, at the end of the day, the symbol makes no difference. I serve my people. I serve my country, and I serve the people who make this country great. I don't serve politicians. I don't serve organizations. I serve my people. And so, so you, you, what you're what you're seeing is a demonstrated loyalty by the military personnel there to the to the people of the country as opposed exactly. rejecting rejecting globalism and embracing nationalism however exactly. this but, but but okay so it doesn't matter what symbol what flag it doesn't matter i have a loyalty to my country this is the mindset of of the ukrainian uh people is what you're saying right 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 okay all right wow. at the same right. time while i was down in crimea now crimea has long been the home of the Black Sea Fleet of the Russian Navy. Um, and Crimea, even under Ukraine, was an autonomous republic. You probably remember that from, from the footage about the vote and all that. Um, and it had a special status because it was an autonomous republic and because the Russian Black Sea Fleet was there. Basically, whenever someone hit military age, because they do still have conscription both in Russia and in Ukraine, but when someone hit military age, they are able to choose whether they wanted to serve in the Ukrainian military or whether they wanted to serve in the Russian military. Most of them chose to serve in the Russian military because the pay and benefits were much better, which by default, whenever they chose to serve in the Russian Navy, in the Black Sea Fleet, they became Russian citizens. And that is why, and, and the people of Crimea, because I talked to people who ran restaurants, I talked to people who ran hotels, uh, the, the people in Crimea honestly really did have a deep-seated loyalty to Russia because, not just because of, of the Black Sea Fleet being there and because they enjoyed the, the economic situation of them being there, but because Crimea historically was a part of Russia, just as Russia says that it was. That's all true. And talking with the people in Crimea, 
they had more loyalty towards Russia than they did towards Ukraine. All right, so we're understanding this. In the larger scheme of things, what is being presented to the American public and to the West basically is is not accurate. Uh, The Crimeans, their loyalty lies with Russia, right? Right. Is is that what I'm hearing? Okay. All right, so so now but we're being sold a bill of goods under this orchestrated conflict that that's not the case. But it is the case. You were on the ground. You met people, one more than one, and you saw the... Okay, so plus the benefits of the military, Crimean military, correct me if I'm wrong here, the Crimean military, Navy, whatever, they become Russian citizens by virtue of their uh, joining the... the, uh, the military in Crimea. Is that right? Right. Did I say that right? Well, okay. they, 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 they could either petition for full citizenship or at least while they were in uniform, they were considered the, the exact same as a Russian citizen. Okay, so, so Crimea, Crimea, Crimea would be like uh, Puerto Rico is to the United States. I mean, it's part of the United States. In right. the eyes of the, both the Crimeans as well as the Russians, so the, the the what we're seeing as far as an orchestrated or as far as a conflict there, or this this uh, fabricated false narrative about the uh, desire for independence, if that's even part of this, uh, it, it's all BS. Okay, I mean for the orchestrated conflict that's about to get much worse, is that kind of it, I, I think that it is going to get much worse, and I think that the, the, the thing that is the crux of the argument between the United States and Russia is the fact that, you know, the United States says we never guaranteed that um, we would not move NATO closer to Russian uh, borders, and in fact, we didn't recruit those guys. They came to us asking to become a part of NATO. The Russians say, no, you guys have continued to expand NATO, even though you promised that you wouldn't after the collapse of the Soviet Union. This is a direct danger to our national security, and the fact that you know the, the last straw really was the fact that we were looking at adding Ukraine and Georgia to NATO because not so much Georgia, but Ukraine is considered, I mean, even though it was it was its own independent country at the time, it's still considered like Russia's little brother to the Russians, which is another reason why I find it very hard to believe that not just the Russian government, because Believe me, I, I have a lot of respect for Putin, but I'm not a I'm not a Putin fanboy. I don't gush over him and and believe every word that he says because I know that just like any other politician, a lot of times he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. But bearing in mind that they have that love for Ukraine, it's very difficult for me to believe that they are doing the things that our media is claiming that they're doing within the borders of Ukraine as well as uh, trying to subvert the Ukrainian government. 
and I, and I you, want to take that one step further, if I can, just good, real okay. quick. Yeah, please. I, I think you're going to go where I was going to ask. Go ahead. Because the Western media likes to portray, and I've heard it a thousand times, that what Putin is trying to do is recreate the USSR. Putin trying right. to recreate the USSR would be absolutely insane, because in order to do so, he would have to divert the the already stretched finances of Russia to bringing those other countries up to the standard that Russia is at. It would be similar to what happened in Germany right after the reunification between East and West, where West basically went to a standstill until they brought the East up to their level of living. Right, which was a very, very costly in, in dare I say, time-consuming, but but very costly uh, in, in the resources that were invested. Tremendous. Okay, so so okay, Putin is not trying to recreate the USSR. However, what the and and again, this is my assessment based on what I know. And but from your inside uh, vantage point, tell me if if this is correct. NATO is pushing Russia, Putin precisely, um, using Ukraine, using Crimea, using that, that area of conflict or potential conflict. As well as other weapons defense systems, yes. uh, missile uh, launch systems that they continue to encroach in place closer to Russia as Russia does take it as a threat of national security, just as Sergeant Tim said. And um, just like when we were in the Cold War with the with the USSR, we saw the missiles in Cuba. You know, if China or Russia came back over to Cuba and, and set up a whole array of, of missile systems and missile defense systems pointed at us, it would be a huge threat to the United States national security. So what Russia is seeing is an encroachment by America and NATO onto its own territory and the neighboring countries around it trying to expand the NATO reach, uh, if I summarize that correctly. And Tim, we got about a minute before break if there's anything you want to add to uh, the Russia-Ukraine. Well, the, the only other, the only other thing that I would say is that um, I, I really think that, that the American people is being played. Uh, we see it going on right now in the election, where we're not necessarily being told the truth uh, by the media, and definitely whenever it comes to international affairs, do some research for yourself. Get outside of just the American media and and learn what the world thinks about certain situations. Can, can our our TV trusted? Just curious. Our TV? No, RT Russian uh, Russian oh. television. Our RT. Are, are, are they are, are are they a propaganda arm just like CNN would be comparable? Do you think? At times they are. Whenever it's convenient to them, they'll tell the truth. Whenever it's uh, not convenient for them, they will definitely take the the Russian policy stance. Okay, and, and that's a great answer. And, and you, being a Russian linguist, very very valuable assessment. So when when I flip on RT, um, yeah, okay, it, it's it's not all propaganda. There's some truth to that. Right. Folks, we're, we're talking. Just like, sorry, go ahead. We're talking with Sergeant Tim. We're up against the, the break. We'll be right back for our final segment right after this. Stay with us.
listening to the Hagman and the Hagman Report right here on the Global Star Radio Network, YouTube Live, and of course BTR, Blog Talk Radio, simulcast on all venues. Our guest is Tim. I'm just going to say Tim from the military, active military. He's really a month away from retirement. Folks, listen, it's really difficult to dance around the, um, it's dance to, 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 to avoid, given the, you gotta know the, the classifications clearances i should say our guest has it's very difficult to um not violate signed oaths that he has that that he signed on to we don't want him to end up in leavenworth because we can't neither one of us can bake and certainly they could find a file in there all right so uh, we want to give him you know we're we're trying to we're trying to be very diligent and and respectful of that but uh, just to recap some things a couple of very important things look he gave you our guest gave you the the state of our military over the course of basically two decades, okay, from start to finish, how our military has been incrementally defanged and wussified. I say that, yeah, wussified, where it caters to the non-traditional, non-biblical family. Um, the It's created a... a Leviathan, this bureaucracy, I can talk, um, that is, that's drowning our, our men and women in, in uniform. It has created a surveillance system by virtue of the government credit card that's issued to our people. And all of this to the detriment of our security, the security of our nation. This from a gentleman who is well versed in all things military. Now, across platforms. The intelligence, our guest is rooted in, of course, in intelligence. Before we get back to him, I want to mention AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. They are offering for a limited time. This is a limited package. You want to help a veteran? You want to help a law enforcement officer? You heard what Tim said here. Law, our military, uh, our military, they are in need. Many are in need. Well, help them out. Visit AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Scroll to all products or go to all products and then uh, just, just find or use the search term, bless those who serve if you want to, and order the package. And what ASW will do is they will match that, give a package to a, vet, a currently serving active military or active law enforcement in need, okay, family in need. So very good and we want to thank American Survival Wholesale for doing so. Yeah. Now, getting back to what we we're talking about before. So I, I think I summarized that well. Ukraine, not all that it appears. Russia, not all that it appears. Crimea, we, this is a manufactured, orchestrated uh, poking of the bear, symbolic bear, shall we say, by the West, by NATO, by America. If I can, because of the, the time factor here, Tim, let me ask this. What about Syria and Russia? Because this is, to me, what's taking place in Ukraine, Crimea, and with Russia, is just a mere, well, not a mere, but an additional front that's been opened um, to append what is taking place, what, what we're doing in Syria. Is that a correct assessment? I mean, we started the, the civil war. When I say we, I'm talking about the West. Started the civil war in Syria or the war in Syria uh, we created a crisis where none existed before by the takedown of Libya and the events in Benghazi when 
so so we we're, we're we're keeping Russia busy over there, and then all of a sudden we decide, okay, we're going to open up another front, a little bit closer to home, that being Crimea or Ukraine and and, and Crimea. Is that kind of an accurate assessment based on your intelligence? It it actually you know based on on my own personal analysis. I can say that, that that's spot on. And one of the things that I would um, I would point to, well, I would remind people, is that no matter what you might believe as far as uh, the different versions that come out within our media and, and from different political uh, people, it's hard to divorce the United States of America from what's going on with ISIS, whether you're talking about what happened in Libya and Benghazi, just the official story, to the vacuum that was created whenever we removed our troops from Iraq. And I will tell you, I, I was not a big fan of the Iraq war. Uh, I'm still not. I lost a lot of friends in the Iraq war. Um, but... Regardless, once you get into it, you can't just destroy every bit of power in a country and then leave and leave a vacuum and not expect that the most radical elements of that country are going to take it over. The second part is um, if you if you look at the reason why Russia is in Syria, I, I really think that a lot of people are confused on that and maybe don't understand it. And I've heard some people try to explain it, and I don't necessarily agree with them. Um, going back to the 90s, again, whenever you had the, the Chechen war going on in Russia, Russia took a very hard stance, and it's been a stance since that moment of uh, respect for national sovereignty. Because they didn't want, at the time, uh, the Chechens had reached out to the international community and the West and America and asked for our support uh, in gaining their own independence. Part of that was based upon uh, what also happened in the Balkans, where we, again, um, took the side opposite of Russia because, uh, honestly, I think it's because it's just habit now. Uh, but we took the side opposite Russia. Russia stood by Serbia. We stood by the Albanians and the Macedonians and everyone else, uh, the Kosovars. And I, I, I will tell you, we, I know we, people... Tim, Tim, we armed the, the Muslims, just so people understand this, we armed the Muslims of, of Albania and assisted them in the genocide of the non-Muslims, right? Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. There were, there were no good guys in, in that fight. There were atrocities committed by both sides. And Tim, if we could, can you uh, touch on the uh, what Bill Clinton did in Serbia during the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Oh yeah, he, he stepped up relevant. the bombing. He stepped up the bombing in order to uh, to cover his own indiscretions. Um, and and I will tell you, I have I've also been to the Balkans quite a few times, and I've been to Belgrade, and I've been to military bases in Serbia. Uh, they used to love to take us and show us because a lot of their headquarters buildings and stuff are still bombed out because they don't have the the finances to replace them. Um, and so I've seen the devastation that we wreaked on their country. Um, 
and and like Joe just said, a lot of that was uh, in order to cover the indiscretions, uh, to put it mildly, of our president. Um, but Russia formulated that policy of respect for national sovereignty because of what was going on with Chechnya, what happened in Serbia, and so there uh, in lies their very strong sense of uh, nationalism, which is probably why Hillary Clinton uh, drew the um, correlations between Donald Trump and, and Russia. But because of that, whenever they saw that there was a conflict, a civil war going on in Syria, who they already didn't have bad relations with, but they saw that the international community, and in particular the West, was looking at moving in there without any kind of uh, legal framework in the you know the the international law. Then they decided, hey, we're going to stand up for this guy. And again, I'm no fan of Bashar al-Assad. No fan of Vladimir Putin. Definitely not a fan of, uh, I can't even say his name, Ahmadinejad in Iran. But whenever they talk about the legalities of um, treading on the national sovereignty of Syria, according to international law, they're correct. Just as when people here in this country and and I, I specifically hope that because I know that you guys have a huge military crowd that listens to you guys, and I, I hope that you guys that are serving now and, and still have more time left in hear these words and take heed of them. If you're gonna swear an oath to something, you better learn it front and back. When people say that something is unconstitutional, look it up, check it out, and. <laughs> You'll find nine times out of ten, what our government is doing is not operating within the bounds and limitations of the United States Constitution. Very well said. Very interesting. And that's a message to our active duty military personnel. Please take heed to what Tim said. And, and Tim's risking a lot, folks. He really is by coming on. And, and you may think, well, it's kind of reckless for him to give all the personal information, but it's the context. Look, they know who he is. He's just walking the line, keeping on this side of the line, on this side of law, unlike Hillary, the the Yak Clinton. Okay, he's keeping on this side, and he's free to say what he has said uh, so far uh, and, and be well within the law. Look, we're we're getting kind of short on time, so we're going to kind of give a, get a lightning round in here. There are we've got so many. I mean, our board is lit up with questions. Our emails lit up with questions. People want to ask you certain things. So, would you humor humor us for a little bit and, and take it? Oh, take, absolutely. Uh, okay. All right. Number one, one of the biggest questions is right now based on your. Well, I'm not going to even preface it because I don't want to put you on the hook. So, I'm just going to ask the question. In the event that there would be a gun grab or something happen here in the, in the domestically in the United States, in your view, what would the would the military current now the active military would they 
in your opinion, follow unlawful, unconstitutional orders for a gun grab or martial law, based on your current evaluation of the the present military makeup? I will I will say this. Um, I've talked to a lot of guys. We we have conversations about this kind of thing, or I, I guess I should say we used to have conversations about this kind of thing all the time. I've I've talked to guys on both sides of the fence. Uh, those that, that said that they would go along with it, I'll be honest with you. I told them, I'll be right behind you in the first U.S. citizen you shoot. I'm going to put one in the back of your head. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that being said, <laughs> um, the vast majority, <laughs> the vast majority of, uh, of, of the guys that are serving, they completely understand what their duty is and that they don't, they didn't swear an oath to a certain administration. They didn't serve, uh, swear an oath to a certain political party. They swore an oath to protect and defend the United States Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And most of them understand the fact that most of the enemies to that document are domestic these days. And so when you talk about orders coming down to the military to go door to door and take people's weapons away from them, um, I don't think you're talking about the United States military doing that. All right. Are there, okay, another question here. Are there Russian troops in this country, in the United States, um, here for any other reason than mutual aid training or mutual, you know, to training purposes. In other words, is there an ulterior motive for them being here? If there is, and, and I've read a lot of that reporting, um, I, I will tell you that I think sometimes people who see the people uh, in Russian uniforms might misunderstand what is going on because, like I said, during arms control inspections, um, their guys do come over and, and do inspections. I know that their guys do come over and train sometimes. Uh, I've, I've stood on Red Square in my military uniform, uh, had, had people wanting to come out and take pictures with me and, and stuff like that, but there were definitely people in Russia who didn't like the fact that there were American soldiers standing on Red Square. Um, but I think that sometimes people might read too much into that, but I'm not going to totally dismiss it either because I'm the type of person, you know, I've, I've seen a lot in, in my 40-plus uh, years, and nothing these days surprises me either with this country or with mm. this world. I was, I, that wasn't the answer we were looking for. <laughs> but <laughs> no, actually, that, that was the answer I, we expected. Uh, this question is directly from me. Okay, being fluent mm-hmm. in Russian, can you do us a favor? Can you say you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report in Russian? It, 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 now you don't have to. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you can you do that in Russian for us? Hagman and Hagman Report. Wow. There you go. See that? Are we multicultural or what? <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for that. I, I like no that. No problem. We, we're going to have to, JD, make sure we, you know, isolate that and we're going to just exploit the heck out of you. All right. Now, if we can continue on like a little lightning round of questions here and you, Tim, you stop me if any of these questions are, um, something you don't want to get into. The, uh-huh. 
potential we see a, a lot um and you mentioned the the presidential election the voting system the possibility of electronic voter fraud and or stealing of an election has this been talked about by you and your um squad at all or is this something that is um kind of kept on the back burner i i want to make something really really clear and uh, I, I hope you guys don't take offense to this um I have never, and I'll just put it this way, I've never heard discussion or been a part of any program that did not fall in line with the United States Constitution, and I would not be a part of that program. If I heard about that, um, I, I definitely, I wouldn't care about being locked up. I, I would go public with that. Um I, I definitely have never heard of anything like that, and if I did, uh, I would be calling every news outlet in America trying to get somebody to hear me. Okay, no, that's, not, that's not offensive at all. That's <laughs> the, thank you. Well, I, I ask because Trump <laughs> mentioned the possibility of uh, electronic voter fraud, and then the, the uh, Obama came out and said that you know that he was ridiculous and every, you know what he was saying was was basically crazy now you have the fbi coming out and asking and saying basically that there already was um the fbi alert sparks fear that state voting systems are under uh you know cyber attack or under uh, some kind of attack um, and open for manipulation and now the homeland security is going to get involved and oversee the elections putting the elections under the category of critical infrastructure and i'm sure you're very familiar with that so I didn't right. know if um, this was something that has been talked about with you guys or not, or if it's just in the news that we see, uh, whatever for whatever reason, this political jargoning. Um. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is uh, you got to remember too, um, we're we're highly compartmentalized, uh, and so there are just, you know there's different sections, different departments that handle different things. Um, the second thing that I would say is. I saw that article this morning about uh, Homeland Security taking over the elections, and the first thing that popped into my mind was the the Russian instructors that I talked about a moment ago. And isn't it convenient that the Department of Homeland Security that they were so afraid of are now taking over the, the election process? And as Papa Joe Stalin said, it doesn't matter who votes it matters who counts the votes yep there you go now my next question was going to be um you know we're seeing a lot of this uh from the dnc hacks to the hacks from open society to the potential voting fraud hacks as being blamed on russia you took and that even question future, from me and even future attacks are already trying to say that you know russia is going to influence the elections through Hacking is this just them setting Russia up as the enemy? Um, I, I will say um, I know a little bit about how um, hackers go about um, disguising and, and hiding their trail, and I do know from some reporting in our press um, that. Russia does have some very capable hackers. Um, but 
I, I just think it's so convenient that they continually blame this stuff on Russia. I mean, if you ask me, it, it's pretty apparent that at least one of the political parties wants to have war with Russia. And you have to understand that in in my capacity as an American military person, as long as I am still serving, in my official capacity, I cannot say that I support one party over another, one candidate over another, because that would be seen as tampering with the electoral process. Um, but that being said, it does seem like um, one of the political parties uh, might be interested in getting into a war with Russia because it seems like they blame everything on Russia. Interesting. All right. Now I'm going to I'm going to take it I'm going if I can I'm going to take you back in time a little bit um, because this is a question and and if if there was anything such as a homework assignment for our guest this is it um, March eighth nineteen sixty eight the Soviet K one twenty nine submarine uh, sunk or well it sunk in um, deep water about. Uh, about 1,500 miles northwest of Hawaii. Now, 98 Russian, Soviet, I should say, crewmen perished in that event, okay? If this was a nuclear submarine. It was uh, the Soviet submarine K-129, of which the sinking launched the Glomar Explorer Project Azorian. Of course, I'm going off script, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking with the U.S. military official intelligence, okay, Russian linguist, the you, you, could, you see where I'm going here? Anyway, uh-huh. the, 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 you'll never hear this on the Discovery Channel, but what the information I have from somebody very, very high up in the intelligence world said that, hey, look, this was an event where Russia was going to launch a nuclear missile on Hawaii, and bear with me, folks, and blame it on the Chinese for the most part, in order to start a war. Have you any knowledge of that at all? I haven't heard that. Um, okay. I, I will say, you know, during the Cold War, uh, both sides played some, some dirty games and, and some dirty tricks, and there was a lot of misinformation uh, spread by both sides and, and a lot of trick maneuvers pulled and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't doubt it. Especially if you if you have uh, a source that says that, uh, but I don't know that much about that situation. Gotcha. All right. I I, I love to ask military people that question because <laughs> every one I've asked um, invariably I would get an, I'd get an email or a phone call saying, "Hey, you know what? I looked into this and man, there, there's a, a blackout of information about that." But uh, again, that's the story of. The K-129 submarine back in 1968 that changed, at least in my view, that changed uh, the course of history. Well, all right. Now, we've got about, uh, what, about five minutes before we got to cut you loose. You've been very generous, very very courageous, too, for for appearing on our show. Real quick, uh, I, I just have to add this. The uh, response to American Survival Wholesales helping out a active-duty military family mm-hmm. and active law enforcement family uh with the special the uh bless uh, their their bless those, bless who, those serve, who serve what you do is go to americansurvivalwholesale.com 
And once you're there, click on All Products. Yep. Then after you click on All Products, click Bless Those Who Serve. With your purchase of this, I believe it was a $99 pack, yeah. and you will done, receive yeah. uh, storable survival food. 120 servings. 120 servings, and you will also be helping an active duty military member or law enforcement member receive the same. Yes. And so it's, it's very important deal. that we not only uh, take advantage of offers that help us, but those that will also help somebody else. Tim, we're going to turn over the next five minutes. Share with the, the audience what's on your heart or any other information that you feel our our audience would uh, benefit from hearing, whether it's intelligence, inspirational, educational, historic, whatever. Go ahead. Here's here's one thing that I wish uh, more people realized and, and would look at critically, and it's one thing that I brought up to a lot of my troops whenever we would talk about geopolitical events and, and different scenarios and how they would play out and stuff, is... Look at our country, look at our military since World War II and the conflicts that we've been in. Every one of those countries, whether you're talking about the Korean War, the Vietnamese War, all the way through to the Iraq War and Afghanistan, every one of those countries were countries that if our military was allowed to operate efficiently and without political restraint, meaning political correctness, um, we could have bulldozed those countries. However, we didn't. You know, uh, we lost, I don't even know how many people uh, in, in the Korean conflict in Vietnam, Iraq and Afghanistan, we're still losing people in Iraq and Afghanistan, even though, um, according to some people in, uh, in politics, uh, we're not, we're no longer in war there and we don't have people there anymore. Um, but if, if you look at that, we, we should have bulldozed those countries. We're, we're a superpower. Right now, we're supposed to be the world's lone superpower. But we don't go in and bulldoze those countries. We're hamstrung by the system that is in place that costs people lives. And I'm sure that there's people that are listening tonight that have lost loved ones in those conflicts. So thinking about that, what is going to happen if we continue down this road poking Russia poking the bear in the nose, in the eye, and we get into a conflict with a country that could quite possibly, for the first time since World War II, present us with an existential threat. You know, people forget that during World War II we had ration cards, we had people growing uh, uh, freedom gardens, and, and people were living a completely different type of lifestyle just in order to give everything they had to the boys in Europe and the boys in the Pacific fighting that war. Number one, I don't even think that we have a society today that would allow us to do that. We would have we would have riots in the streets mm-hmm. if they began to draft people. Mm-hmm. We would have riots in the streets if they told people, hey, you can't go get that new iPhone. Instead, here's some rations. 
<laughs> because we've become a society that no longer believes in the principles that, that made this country great. And I'm not saying that, that it's good to go to war. I, I think war should absolutely be used as a last resort. But there are people in power. There are good people in our government, but there are people in power who want that war because they stand to make a lot of money. And there it is, Tim. Tim, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. We have reached the end of the program. I want to say God bless you and thank you for your time. And you come back on after you're unchained from the chains that bind you. (laughs) God bless you. Absolutely. God bless you too, too. Have a good night, Tim. Don't forget, Friday night, uh, Jack Casha will be our guest tomorrow. Just me and my dad. Have a good night, everyone.